There is no better place. It's time to talk. The only way to get into doing cock is going to need a friend. Fair play. That's a cock threat at this stage, I think. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love cock people. Conversation that matters. Happy Friday, everybody, from the Neil Prenderville Show. Freeze blows over is the uh, front uh, of the sun today. And as we've just done the weather, let's uh, concentrate on that one first. Uh, storm coming as cold snap ends. Ireland, snow and ice hell uh, will finally start to break today. I guess that's a relative, isn't it? If you're a young person throwing snowballs, it's far from hell. Uh, but a nasty storm is expected to barrel in on Sunday. The Baltic blast will ease tonight with temperatures climbing up to double figures by tomorrow. The cold snap persisted yesterday with schools and parts of Mayo areas forced to close and western and northern coastal areas saw more snow showers overnight but the status yellow low temperature warning for all of Ireland remains in place until 11am today. Then a yellow alert for snow and ice will be lifted in Donegal uh, or has been at 6am so temperatures are on the rise they'll increase a little today but much more so overnight and tomorrow. Hostile blast horror. Gardaí are probing a fatal explosion caused by a pipe bomb under a bed. Uh, Gardaí are probing whether an explosion that killed a man in a homeless hostel was caused by a suspected pipe bomb under his bed. The man died following the terrifying blast at the DePaul Centre near Capel Street in central Dublin. It's believed the bomb exploded as he was sleeping. Uh, a source last night said it was 100%, uh, 100% not linked to gas or any heater. Uh, more detail in the star today with a dramatic headline Pipe bomb under bed kills sleeper. A Polish man had lived in the capital for months and Gardaí were last night probing the shock theory that the explosion that killed a homeless man was caused by a bomb. Uh, sources have told the star that investigators believe the suspected device was under the man's bed in a Dublin homeless shelter. He was in the room on his own apparently. It exploded as he slept to destroy the room and killed him instantly. The explosion caused massive damage. Uh, sources say there's no suggestion of anyone else being involved in the incident. Uh, the man was a Polish national apparently and was in his 30s and had been living in Dublin for at least several months. Refugee site sale dropped after fire. Uh, owners withdraw offer to house Ukrainians as a TD slams arsonists. Uh, an offer on a property that could have housed up to 90 Ukrainian refugees has been rescinded after an arson attack earlier this week. Gardi confirmed that a technical exam uh, will be carried out at the scene of an old convent in Lanesborough County Longford where a fire took place on Tuesday. In a statement, the Department of Integration confirmed that the property had been offered for use as Ukrainian refugee accommodation and had been undergoing renovation. Joe Flaherty, Fianna Fáil TD for Longford Westmeath, uh, said that the owners have now withdrawn their offer. He said it had been offered for two years, adding it was at the owner's instigation that the contract was terminated. I would be deeply troubled by the fire and can appreciate anything like this uh, causing a certain amount of concern in a local community. And uh, looking at the national media and TV last night, uh, it appears the owner uh, was not just concerned for the safety of the property, uh, but for the safety of his or her own family. We will deduct extra COVID pay from pensions is the big headline on the front of the mail t- today. Government warns those who receive too much in the pandemic un- unemployment payment will have to pay the debt eventually. Uh, people who got extra payments under a COVID 
uh, unemployment scheme but fail to repay it will have to cop up when they get uh, their pension. The uh, pandemic unemployment payment, PUP, of €350 a week was introduced in 2020 when hundreds of thousands of people were out of work due to lockdown restrictions. Almost 880,000 people were in receipt of the payment at the height of the pandemic at a cost of £9.2 Now it's emerged that potentially £200 worth of those payments in some 60,000 cases were made in error as some people continue to receive the sum after they returned to work, but they're going to have to repay it. Uh, if not now, eventually. Ireland's oldest person, Kitty Jeffrey, dies at uh, 109. Owen English reporting that Kitty Jeffrey, uh, in the Examiner, by the way, uh, Kitty Jeffrey believed to have been Ireland's oldest person, dying at the age of 109. Uh, Miss Jeffrey, who was born on November 12th, 1914, died peacefully at Cork University Hospital yesterday with family at her bedside. She assumed the title of Ireland's oldest person following the the death last September of Maureen Hughes, who was born on May 22nd, 1914. Imagine living through the First World War, the War of Independence, the Second World War, uh, and right through into almost uh, one quarter of the next century. Uh, Her father, James Clancy, uh, this is Mrs. Jeffrey, or Miss Jeffrey, Uh, Turning 109 last November, her father, James Clancy, from Ballyorgan in Limerick, emigrated to Australia in the 1800s in search of work, but returned along with his eldest sibling, Kate, and got a job as an assistant manager and later manager of farmland at Glenville Manor in North Cork. He then met and married Anne Mills from Ballynoe in East Cork, and the couple had two children, Bill and Kitty, who was born in Glenville in 1914. Fireball in Hurtle, over Irish skies. More on this later in the programme, but stargazers caught a glimpse of a fireball-like meteor as it flew over the skies around Ireland last night. People in Cork say they were stunned to witness the greenish-red fireball as it travelled at speed. Uh, One couple who were travelling near Bantry when they saw the meteor, which later crashed to earth, feared it was going to hit them. We were absolutely terrified. We were screaming. I was full sure it was going to hit us. We saw it fall to earth and explode in flames, uh, but we are not sure exactly where it landed as it was completely dark. Surely the crater and the remains will be found. Max Dirty Laundry. Uh, By the way, if you saw the... the, uh, the fireball, the meteor, then get in touch 0818 104 106 by phone or you can text and WhatsApp us on 086 106. We'd love to have a first-hand eyewitness account. Uh, McGregor Towers blow his dirty laundry. Uh, locals in a spin over free washing machines. Conor McGregor has left people living near his building project fuming after not providing free washing machines and dryers. The Uf- uh, UFC star's firm is putting up uh, nine-storey blocks of flats in Drimna in Dublin. Uh, locals say while uh, they pledge the white goods as it's too dusty to dry clothes outside. Oh, so he was meant to provide uh, free washing machines for those in the locality as they suffer the dust from the building. Uh, one told uh, the newspaper, The Sun, that they feel completely uh, let down. Uh, Colin McGregor called a hero by one of our contributors yesterday, eliciting some text to say a hero doesn't... Uh, uh, be set an old man in a pub, then buy the pub and bar the old man. Uh, we'll get to all of your texts later on if we can uh, during the programme. Uh, in the Independent, this also made the front page 
just one third of shops will offer cash for empties when the scheme begins next month. Caroline O'Doherty reporting that less than one third of shops are expected to offer a money-back service for empty plastic drinks bottles and cans when the new deposit scheme, or return scheme, begins next month. About 6,000 supermarkets, convenience stores, petrol stations and news agents sell eligible beverages but most have not installed return vending machines for shoppers to drop back their empties. So while all 6,000 outlets will charge the extra deposit fee on drinks, shoppers will have a much smaller choice of shops to get their money back from. And this kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Because they're just probably committed to landfill through their recycling bin. Uh, Just over 1,800 diverse vending machines are due to go live on the 1st of February when the scheme begins. Uh, It's going to probably push up prices as well because it's all going to have to be uh, heading towards the bottom line, of course. Return, uh, which is a pretty good name for the company, I suppose, said very few retailers have opted for the alternative arrangement of taking back containers over the counter. Um, There will be places where you'll be 10 kilometres from an outlet that's taking returns, said Vincent Jennings of the Convenience Store and News Agents Association. Return insisted it was happy with the uptake among retailers, saying there's been great engagement with the scheme. But there will be pockets and areas, I guess, in the country where you'll be a bit of a distance from a reverse vending machine. The interesting scheme when it rolls out on the 1st of February. €332,000 a year. Our Michael G, the second best paid president in Europe, beaten only by the President of Switzerland. Uh, in third place, the Presidents of Austria, uh, f- uh, sorry, in third place onwards, the Presidents of Austria, Iceland, Germany, Italy, Poland, France, Slovakia, and uh, Cyprus. Uh, the French President getting paid just over 50% uh, of what Michael D gets. The lowest paid uh, on, let's do this from. Uh, from 321. The President of Serbia getting 20,564 euros a year. The President of Moldova uh, gets 17,115 euro per year. The lowest paid President uh, in uh, the EU and surrounding countries is Volodymyr Zelensky of uh, the Ukraine. He gets 8,134 euros per year. That's a stark difference uh, between Switzerland's over half a million and Michael D's 331,470. But the article says Michael D. Higgins, the second highest paid president in Europe after his uh, Swiss counterparts, uh, new research has uh, revealed. The study also found that the president's wage of over 330 grand a year is almost seven times the average worker's salary in this country. Uh, in this regard, uh, Mr. Higgins was behind only Slovakian president, uh, who's estimated 187. Uh, thousand salary, 7.8 times that of her average workers. Calls and comments, welcome. Uh, 0818 or by text 0868104106. Just a few more pieces on this Friday morning with the time approaching 20 past nine. Uh, new online bank arrives. The rate is 10 times higher. Uh, customers are set to switch to Bunk, B-U-N-Q, of Ireland. The Sun reporting today that rip-off Irish banks will be forced to start a price war to keep customers from being lured to an online bank offering a savings rate 10 times higher than with the traditional uh, or legacy banks, it's claimed. New bank Bunk, B-U-N-Q, 
uh, aims to woo Irish customers away from traditional operators by offering a much better return on their hard-earned cash. And I guess if it has the ease of use of uh, of Revolut as well, it's going to be a very, very appealing prospect. Killian, Paul and Barry are the Irish hopes of the gongs. This was pretty much covered in the media yesterday, but Killian Murphy has said starring in Oppenheimer is an experience he will never forget as he celebrated being nominated for a leading Oscar, uh, leading actor, BAFTA. And one final one, uh, this beggar's belief. <clears throat> Sorry, you'll know why I didn't say beggars. For Brew the Bell Tolls, how many puns? Uh, Brits abandoned tea, a story from across the, the water, but I think we are... Uh, probably ahead of them when it comes to tea drinking per head of capita. Tea has sunk to a shock defeat in the cup, beaten by coffee as the UK's favourite hot drink. The classic leafy brew, loved by generations, was picked by less than a quarter of Brits. Uh, this that, uh, that compares to 59% who opted for a latte, cappuccino, flat white, mocha or espresso. So tea in the UK at least, love to know the uh, stats for Ireland, uh, is now coming second to coffee. What about you? Your calls and comments are welcome. I love a coffee on the road and uh, you tend to pick out the service stations that, uh, to your own palate and your own taste, uh, give you coffee that you like. Um, but at home, I'm 100% tea. What about you? 0818104106 or by text 086 8104106. Call Neil now. 0818104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Just chatting during the uh, commercial break there about uh, various salaries of presidents around the world. Kevin's got a bit of a list. Uh, Barack Obama, now it's going to force, it's going to be Joe Biden. Uh, who knows how it's going to be next year? But they're on pretty much all to maybe 10 grand or so. The same sort of rewards financially as Michael T., president of the USA. Yeah, it's um, it's it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I think at one point uh, when Giovanni Trapattoni was involved in managing Ireland, he was being paid more than the President of the United States of America. Or, or at least John Delaney definitely was being paid more than the President of the United States of America. So, I mean, I, I think I know which, which job I'd rather take, to be honest. But look, that's well, which, which one do you reckon had the most perks, though? The US President or John Delaney? Oh, definitely John Delaney's. <laughs> definitely. I don't, I don't see uh, Joe, or, uh, Joe Biden or Barack Obama having an ice sculpture at a personalised birthday party. But anyway, look, <laughs> that's, a, that's a story for a different day. No, just coming back to the tea, uh, you were talking about, uh, the article was talking about the Brits' love for tea versus yeah, well, uh, other countries, or, or is it their love for tea is waning now? Is yeah, that what tea, it's saying? tea has gone into second place to coffee, but there are myriad oh brands and different styles of coffee. Um, maybe it was always going to be that tea would go into second place. There's I, loads of types of tea though now as well. I mean, like, like I, this, is, this is the bit now where I go, well, I went travelling and yeah, but I went travelling on. There's Barry's, there's Lions. There's, that's it. Is this, well, we know Barry's is uh, more the favourite of those two now. No, um, but like in Sri Lanka, they have Ceylon. They have a kind of a Ceylon tea. There's chai from India, which is just unbelievable. I would absolutely recommend anybody try the chai. There's like jasmine teas, there's green teas, there's lemon and herb teas, there's mint teas that people have. And I'm sure loads of people screaming at the radio of the different kind of teas that they have. So like there's loads of kind of herbal teas. We settled on the kind of the, the, the breakfast tea. But like there's so many different kinds. But uh, just looking at the list here, it just made me think because I remember hearing somewhere, you know, the way you hear these things like uh, that, you know, Ireland is the largest tea drinker in the world per head of capita. Not that far off. We are the second. We drink the second highest amount of tea per person. Who's at the top of that list? Turkey. 
turkey, turkey tops the list. Turkey yeah, tops the list by quite a margin, and I would say as well. Like, well, you'd, you'd, you'd see a group of men playing, uh, you know, their their style of dominoes or cards or whatever around tables in Turkey, and all they're drinking is tea. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna butcher this pronunciation, right? Just to let you know, but I think it's called Riza Chai or Riza Tsai. Uh, Some uh, people who are listening will obviously correct me on it. Don't look at me. Correction. But it's their kind of black tea. I'll actually just get a picture over here. It's served in an ornate little um, oh, see, glass. See, see. Yeah, and they normally normally have a, what we call a Turkish delight. I think they'd probably just call it a delight. Um, but uh, well, apparently, um, that we're not getting the best of tea in the cheaper brands of tea bags. Uh, we're only getting tea dust and we're not getting tea leaves. I'm of a vintage where I remember tea being made through a strainer yeah. at, the, at the top of the cup. Uh, and then tea bags came in and they were the you know best things since sliced pan. Uh, but apparently we've been suffering a degradation of the quality of tea. Not that we know it and we love what we get. Um, and you know what the funny thing is, is people always go on about chocolate and, or, you know, what do they call it, shrinkflation and that. I wonder is that happening in tea as well. We'd have to, we'd have to get a special report into that. Who's our resident tea drinker here that we could uh, maybe put on the case? Uh, but anyway, t- Turkey has 3.16 kilograms of tea per person per year. So think about that. That's like, what, three sacks of sugar per person per year? We in Ireland drink 2.19, followed by the UK at 1.94. Then Pakistan, Iran, Russia, Morocco, New Zealand, Chile and Egypt. So interestingly, like, I would have thought Sri Lanka, where they grow an awful lot of tea. India, where they grow a huge amount of tea. Neither of them are in the, even in the top 50 of countries that actually consume it. So well, they least, make it, at, but they at don't At least they're exporting. It. By the way, the last time we spoke about tea on this programme, I got about a week's worth of slagging. Have you nothing better to be talking about <laughs> than talking about tea bags and tea? Thanks. Uh, we'll go back to go. our phone lines. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> we have Colm Ryan on line three. Good morning, Colm. Good morning. Now, you were coming home last night and you saw the fireball. You were near the Middleton Park Hotel. Yeah, that's right. I was driving towards the Middleton Park Hotel. It was in my, my, my son uh, with me, and uh, we saw we saw a huge light in the sky. Just It, was, it only happened over about, uh, I'd say, one to two seconds. You know, it just streaked down, and um, it was a kind of a an orange and, and uh, a blue. That's, um, that's what I remember anyway when it happened. But, um, yeah, I was lucky to see it, and I had the dash cam on, so I was able to record it, you know. Okay, and you've you'd been tracking it on social media. It was seen right across the UK and Scotland as well. Yeah, as far north as um, uh, north of Glasgow, and there was reports of it in Kent, and there was reports, yeah, all across Kerry and you know everywhere. It was uh, it was a major, it was a major event. Yeah, you know? Has there been any indication as, as to where it might have struck Earth? I don't. I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's an organisation called the International Me- uh, Meteor Organisation. You can submit your reports, and they can actually then help to try and find out exactly where it happened. But it, it definitely happened somewhere between. Um, it, it would if it landed, and it's quite likely it could have landed. It landed between uh, Ireland and the UK. You know, because people, observers in the UK, saw it coming from the west, and, and we all saw it from the east. You know, so we so basically it's somewhere maybe the Irish Sea, or it could. You know, even possibly be in Ireland, who knows. Okay, well, we're going to get some expert opinion on it soon, but you, oh, by the way, you filmed the fireball on your dash cam, did you? Yeah, 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 I was really lucky, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I, I put it up onto YouTube afterwards, yeah. 
Okay, can you send it to us as well and we might get it up on our own socials uh, because, uh, you know, as much as we try, uh, we can't show you a fireball on radio, but we can put it up on uh, our social channels. If you'd send us it, uh, just in case people are interested, that would be great. Colm, thanks thanks very much. Absolutely. Okay, in a moment, uh, we'll get uh, expert opinion from David Moore of Astronomy Ireland. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. 26 minutes to 10. David Moore of Astronomy Ireland joins us on line 2. Good morning, David. Good morning. Good morning. I missed you by a split second before the commercial break, so thanks for holding uh, over that. Now, you you would contend it's not uncommon uh, that a fireball is seen over Ireland. There was another on Wednesday night. Yeah, it's a bit like buses, isn't it? Uh, None for ages and then two come along at once (laughs) in the one week. (laughs) But statistically, on average, we get big reports that's seen from the south coast to the north coast of the country about once a month I'd say and we call it a fireball anything that's brighter than any star-like object in the night sky so Venus is the, the planet is normally bright it's actually disappearing in the morning sky at the moment but people may have seen it other times of the year and if it's brighter that's a fireball and really it needs to be as bright as the full moon for any part of it to survive re-entry and hit the ground as a meteorite. So we think this was a very big fireball, potentially a, a meteorite drop. It's hard to gauge the brightness. So if people want to compare it to the full moon when they're sending in their reports, uh, that'll help us determine whether or not a search is, okay. is warranted. So compare it in brightness to the full moon. But what are we talking about here? Is it a rock? Is it uh, sort of an asteroid? Yeah. Could it be space debris? Yeah, we think most of them are asteroids, or bits of asteroids. They're not very big, even though this thing lit up the entire country like day for a second or so. It's probably not much bigger than your fist. Uh, anything, say, the size of a microwave oven and, and upwards uh, would turn night into day. Uh, it's also to do with the speed. The, fa- the, the bigger it is, the faster it's going, then... It's uh, the brighter it's going so to burn. Light yeah. and energy. Exactly. Uh, so they're actually quite safe. You, the chance of being hit by them is extremely small. But the last meteorite fall that we actually had was in November 1999 in Ireland, or at least the last one that was found. Statistically, we reckon one or two land on the island every year. But of course, a lot come in during the day when it's cloudy and dead in the middle of the night when nobody's watching. This one was 6 p.m. of a Thursday night. And lots of people are actually out looking for starlings space stations, other things that we're alerting people to in those lovely, if cold, skies that we've had. Yeah. Would it be fair to say, uh, David, uh, that it is not uncommon for these things to be happening over our heads? What's more uncommon are the clear skies that we've had over the last few days. (laughs) Yeah, clear skies are a rarity. The statistics for Ireland is that three out of four nights are totally cloudy. So... uh, the chance of seeing anything in the sky is something to be welcomed, let alone seeing a fireball at the right time. So, as I said, you know, there are probably two meteorites. Now, that's fireballs that will be as bright as the full moon. I've seen one or two 
in the past. And I've seen the landscape in front of me being lit up like day. And that would happen from Kerry all the way up to Donegal. So you can imagine the amount of light that's being given out to light up a country, albeit for just a few seconds. So they really are spectacular. And people are so very lucky. If they want to email in a report, we'll be putting it into the next issue of Astronomy Island magazine for sure. We've got one very lucky uh, reporter who had his camera open in our club and actually got a brilliant photo of it showing the star patterns behind it and this meteor streaking through the sky. Could be a front cover photo, that one could be. Oh, that could be worth for you, Bob, to him as well. Um, so there was another fireball on Wednesday. This was seen in Copine. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure is there photographic evidence of it. Um, how often are they reported to you? Well, if, if, if people go on our social media, so go to our website, astronomy.ie, down the bottom you'll see Facebook, Instagram, X, Twitter, and there's a doorbell camera footage of the meteor that somebody got, and doors was pointing in the right direction. It's nice to see it happen in real time as it flares up and fizzles out. So we expect to see these, as bright as this one, about once a month on average, uh, it would really depend on the clear skies. They're happening much more often, but that's when you factor in the Irish weather, just remembering what happened last year and in previous years and how many reports we get. We're talking about roughly once a month people end up seeing them. So they're happening all the time. And as, as I said, two of these rocks will land on, on, the, on the island of Ireland. A lot of them we can see a thousand miles away. They're that bright. So they happen out over the Atlantic Ocean, over the UK, there was actually a meteorite fall, made the front cover of a magazine three, four years ago, I think it was, flew over Ireland and landed just near the border between Wales and England. And they found that particular meteorite. We haven't had one in Irish soil since, as I said, 1999. And when it was found, a collector uh, bought it and was selling bits of it for about 50 times the price of gold. So if they don't kill you when they land near you, you're, in, you're very lucky. You're in the morning. Now, a lot of people were looking uh, to through the clear skies for the International Space Station this week. Yeah. And it, it's going to be uh, very interesting um, over the next 12, 24 hours because there's four astronauts gone up. They're going to be chasing it. Unfortunately, it looks like the cloud is coming back tonight. <laughs> yeah, the International Space Station always flies over for about two weeks every two months and we're right in the middle of the season now with another 10 days or so to go so we can predict that unlike the fireballs and if people again follow our social media every afternoon we post the time to go out and see it and we're hoping for this space chase tonight because they launched uh, a privately commercially launched a crew of four to join the seven that are already up there uh, last night it was delayed 24 hours so tonight they'll dock the day after tomorrow so tonight we could see the two in the sky ISS is very big uh, would just about fit on a football pitch to give you an idea of size the smaller craft much smaller so it'll be dimmer I'm not sure if it'll be in front of or behind the space station but just look for anything following the same path across the sky and report that because these space chases are very rare and you're watching space history in the making these, these are the earliest pioneers going into space and uh, you know hopefully one day some of them will be Irish. Yeah, because Ireland is sending up their own satellite, we are, aren't we? Which is kind of our first ever we step did. into yeah. space exploration. I think that's, the, that's student-driven, isn't it? It was. It's the front cover, I'm looking at it here, of a, the January issue of Astronomy Island magazine. And it was down to a group led by Professor Lorraine Hannan in UCD. 
who took years to develop, but you don't just launch a satellite willy-nilly. There's lots of tests that have to be done. It went up with a group of other satellites. You don't want your one causing a problem and ruining everybody else's years of work. And so a lot of the students got valuable insight into the real space industry. And that's currently heading toward a trillion-dollar industry every year. So there's big money involved in space. You know, and I think everybody accepts the future of the human race is in space, whether it be decades, centuries, or millennia. We're going to get up there because everyone's trying so hard. And Ireland's a member of the European Space Agency. Bits of rockets are made in Ireland every day. Thousands of jobs are supported around the country. And it, it is the future. So they actually build our own satellite and get it launched and it's working quite successfully. There's a huge feather in their cap. AirSat 1, by the way, is the name of the satellite. Yeah, do, do you think we'll, uh, as Irish, start to gain more influence in the space area? Not, not just as a, as a geography or as a government or as a republic, um, but, uh, you know, we, we do produce the best of graduates. And um, yeah, more, more than a few have been involved already, by the way. Yeah, well, I think people don't realise that Ireland's economy is, is powered by science. It was, last time I checked, it was 60% of our GDP is science-based with all these technology companies we have. And I give talks in schools and theatres all around Ireland. And I tell the kids, you know, here's a photograph of the then T-shirt, Andy Kenny, meeting with Elon Musk, who's launching all these Starlink satellites, for instance, has his own space company. A young kid like them who grew up and became a billionaire in space and other activities. So did Jeff Bezos, both very interested in space when they were kids. He's got his own space company as well. And they've not astronomers, but industry people are saying that they expect the world's first trillionaire will be a space entrepreneur. So if your kids get interested in space, uh, you know, it's, it's an interest you should foster because it's a real growth area for the future. David, we have a caller on the line. Good morning, Kevin. Oh, I think Kevin might be gone. He's not on line one anyway. Uh, can Can you give me the building blocks by size, please, uh, David, of, uh, of space? What are we looking at? We're looking at moons, planets, stars, systems, galaxies, yeah, well, universe. Actually, it's funny you should say that because we have our evening classes which run online Anyone in the country can follow them. Uh, they're happening actually on next Wednesday, uh, sorry, Wednesday week. Next Wednesday, we have a bit of a, a watch for telescopes. The week after that, the last day of the month, uh, you can join in our classes where we try to explain the whole universe to people who have no scientific background. And this fireball was probably a small hand-sized rock, let's say. And we think the asteroids flying around the solar system occasionally bump into each other. And you can imagine all the rocks that are shattered off a collision like that because it happens at very high speed. And these rocks mill around the sun, uh, in orbit around the sun. They're too small for us to see with telescopes until one day they accidentally run into the Earth and cause these fireballs. So it's actually a good way of getting rocks from space off asteroids on the Earth without sending expensive missions up to get them. Okay. Then you go up in size, you hit the moon, a few thousand miles across the Earth, about four times wider than the moon. And the Earth's not the biggest planet or the smallest. Jupiter's the biggest one, about 11 times wider. The sun is about 10 times wider than Jupiter. There are massive stars 100 to 1,000 times wider than the sun. And then we have galaxies like the Milky Way that we're a part of, uh, which are unimaginably large. Uh, the fast thing in the universe is light, and it takes 100,000 years for light to cross our galaxy. And it's one of about a trillion galaxies in the known universe. 
And that sort of scale, when I was a kid, is what really fascinated me about space. They didn't teach it in school at the time. I read every book in the school library. The internet's great for kids these days. They can find out all these facts uh, with beautiful illustrations and diagrams uh, very quickly as well. And, we, you know, we're already the world's most popular astronomy society. We want people to join from all over the country and keep us that way. It's another Irish success story, Astronomy Ireland. OK, um, j- just to try and get a handle on the size of everything, uh, how long would it take us at our current speed to travel a light year? Right, well, light is the fast thing in the universe. Uh, so it's about... 200,000 miles an hour, or miles per second, I a should second, say, or yeah. 300,000 kilometers per so second. So a light year is trillions of miles. Yeah, the moon is about 400,000 kilometers away, so light will get there in just over a second. It takes eight minutes to get to the sun, and over a year, it travels about 10 million million kilometers, about 6 million million miles, or a million million is typically a trillion. A trillion, okay. Uh, that's one light year. And the next star nearest the sun is four of those away from us. And then the rest are even further. And the universe is billions of light years wide. Yeah. And so when you're looking at the bright stars in the sky, they're typically tens to hundreds of light years away. So some of the huge stars maybe are a, thou- a few thousand light years away, but most of what you see tens to hundreds of light years away. So you're actually seeing the light from that was made tens to hundreds of years ago. So you're looking, so looking into the past. Into space, it's really like a time machine. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Kevin is back on the line. Just uh, an eyewitness on what was seen. Uh, You saw something come down by Mahan Point yesterday evening, Kevin. That's right, yeah. I was driving home and um, I just saw uh, basically like a a fireball or a phosphorus-looking thing with a tail on it um, heading towards our overman. Um, That was about ten past six. I didn't didn't know anything else was happening, but um, I think my dash cam would have it on, on... on, on fire, you know. Well, if, if, if it does, please send it in to us. That was probably the same item uh, burning up, uh, David, was it? It probably was. If it was a few minutes after 6pm, that's when everyone reported it. We know that time because we've predicted the Starlink satellites uh, to cross the sky uh, a couple of minutes after 6 and then people who were out watching that saw the fireball as an extra treat. And hopefully Kevin was heading east because that's the direction most people seem to have seen it. We reckon, therefore, it probably landed somewhere in the Irish Sea or over uh, uh, Great Britain, perhaps. It's difficult to tell uh, this early on. But people often do think that the object landed nearby. People always say, oh, it landed in the next field or behind some hills. There are actually huge events happening very high in the sky, maybe 100 kilometres up. So they're never anywhere near anybody unfortunately they're going to land hundreds of kilometers away but it does look like they're very local but they're really actually a much bigger event than our little minds can comprehend i i was heading towards with say um the tunnel and it was it was going that direction so i'd say it it landed obviously not in Mahan, but it definitely landed um i would think on ireland but is, is, yeah, that's the optical illusion because you don't know how, how high, you don't know how fast. So you don't have any trajectories. Yeah. To, it, it could overshoot Ireland in a couple of seconds, possibly. It did. And there were people in our closest on the east coast of Ireland who saw it out over the Irish Sea. And they actually have photographs of that as well. But uh, it would be very interesting to see the dash cam footage, so do send it in to Red FM, but also post it on Astronomy Ireland social media, uh, X or fa- Facebook, Instagram. And, you know, we'll take a look at it. If we know exactly where you were, and there's 
we can get an exact direction off it. We can actually triangulate. That's what we did in November 1999 when this huge fireball was seen over Ireland and we had people in Dublin who saw it in the direction of Cork and people in Cork who saw it in the direction of Dublin and by plotting hundreds of sightings like that we knew it landed somewhere near the Carlo-Kildare border and sure enough a guilty looking rock was found by a lady out walking a few days later that was tested and shown to be an actual meteorite. Okay, did she get to keep that? Uh, she she was the lady who sold it to the oh. collector. All oh, right, okay. and uh, he had actually he had heard the story, made the BBC and uh, everything else, and he posted an, an ad in the local newspaper offering up to twenty thousand pounds sterling. The rumor had it that she, the bits would fit into a mug, and she got about three thousand pounds sterling. But she wanted to remain anonymous, so we don't know the, the full facts. Okay. And there's some question about the legal ownership of it, whether it was, you know, things that fall in Irish soil, whether or not they belong to the Irish state or private individuals. But I don't think anybody really cares as long as they get tested and if there's anything special that the science comes out of. Yeah, Kevin, will you send whatever footage you can find to us or or and to Astronomy Ireland? Th- thanks, thanks oh, for yeah. thanks for contacting us about about your sighting. Okay. Let you go, David. One final question, probably the one you hate being asked the most: Do you believe in the moon landings? Oh, absolutely. Um, the highlight of my career was interviewing Neil Armstrong himself. We also inter- interviewed Buzz Aldrin. But to shake the hand of, of the first man on another world, I think probably the most famous person in history, uh, you, you know, especially when we become a spacefaring race. And to you know that I, I actually got to meet him, talk to him, have coffee with him and, and shake his hand. Uh, I know he went there. Uh, some of the conspiracy theorists that we've talked to them in the past, there's no convincing them otherwise. They make up stories which we can patently prove are false. I've said this uh, on radio, in public. None of them have ever sued me for libel because they would lose. Uh, we know uh, one of them is a cinematographer, photographer, Bart Sibrel, uh, has spent a fortune on this documentary he's written and he's a cinematographer and he knows that when you photograph people on the moon it's a fraction of a second exposure you do that at night you don't get stars in the sky the exposure's too short and yet they're saying oh there's no stars behind the astronauts on the moon okay. that proves that it's done on a sound death there's wrong, a great there's a great story david there's a great story myth legend or fact i don't know but in the great southern hotel in Killarney when it was in uh, Irish Rail or CIE's ownership um apparently the at the time you'd have a door doorman uh, dressed you know like like you do in some of the swankier hotels in Dublin now and and they'd be greeting people and helping people with their luggage etc and one night uh, a guy came out and started smoking a cigar on the steps and uh, the doorman was looking up and um the guy said what what are you looking at oh Christ he said I'm looking at the moon you'll never see a better view of the moon than you will from Kelly and the uh, the, the guy said uh, apparently ah that there is a slightly better one and put his hand out and said I'm Neil Armstrong <laughs> I can well believe it because I gave a talk in uh, Shim Shatira Theatre down in Tralee just a, f- a few months ago and uh, right outside the theatre is the Armstrong Walk because Neil Armstrong was in Tralee at the time I remember we actually sent a reporter down to cover it for Astronomy Island magazine and Dick Spring was showing him around and a lot of the astronauts come to Ireland yes. for the golf would you believe I, they I, tend I, to fly I, in and fly out one of them even married uh, the manager of a, a, a golf um, club in uh, Kinsale 
Dan Tanny. Oh, Dan Tanny, that's right. Uh, uh, i got to go to the next call. Thanks a million. David Moore of Astronomy Ireland. My pleasure. Any time at all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, we'll get Bye now. Uh, Alan O'Reilly runs Carlo Weather. Uh, Alan, how are you doing? Oops, sorry. How are you? Alan, how are you? Good, good. Okay, now you were also sent a video of the fireball. Um, yeah, PJ O'Keefe um, in Carlo was filming the Starlink satellites and he, he captured um, an amazing capture that I've shared on all my social media. But you can very, very clearly see the meteor um, on, on his video. Brilliant video. Um, so I got so many messages from people reporting it. So then it was great to be able to show the video, share the video. So all these people that said that they saw this could then show it to the people that didn't believe them <laughs> to show them that they weren't making it up. That's, that's amazing. Uh, and where can people see that? On Carlo Weather... Twitter account? Yeah, Carla Weather, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, TikTok, anywhere on social media. If you put in Carla Weather, you'll find it. Okay. Now, uh, back to more pressing issues, of course. Uh, we've had clear skies. We've had sub-zero temperatures. Uh, we're coming back to normal winter weather now as regards cloud, rain, wind, uh, and, mm. and the rest of it that's coming this weekend, albeit with milder temperatures. Can you give us an update? Yeah, so I got down to minus 8.2 degrees at Dunmanway stations this morning, actually. So a very cold morning, but unfortunately, things are going to change rather dramatically. So clouds going to move in from the west. Uh, rain is going to hit Cork by this evening, maybe late this evening, early tonight. And then it's going to turn wet and windy for the weekend. Some very heavy rain moving in, especially tomorrow afternoon and quite windy as well. But on Sunday then, we have a risk of a storm tracking across Ireland. Now, this one's a bit tricky. It's um, it's not really in agreement on the weather models, but it looks very, very windy and also more very heavy rain. So a particularly unpleasant day on Sunday. Temperatures will be up to 12 or even 13 degrees. So if you have pipes that are frozen, that's the good news. But that's where the good news ends because with that mild air, it's very wet and windy. Aaron have issued an entire uh, yellow warning for the entire country, but it does say updates to follow, and I'd be surprised if that isn't upgraded for some areas, but it's just as hard to pinpoint where this potential storm could hit on Sunday. And then we have a bit of a respite on Monday with sunny spells and showers, but we have another low-pressure system on Tuesday that's going to bring more very wet and windy weather. So some of the weather models are showing up to 100 millimetres of rain between tonight and Tuesday evening in parts of the west and even in parts of the southwest up to 90 millimetres of rain. So we're going to go from one extreme to the other very, very quickly. Yeah, and, you know, people were distracted with the with the cold weather and with keeping warm, etc. What's happening on Sunday, uh, there's a huge, even in Cork, I'm looking at one of the charts here for 12 midday on Sunday, 7.3 millimetres of rain. Uh, going, going to fall in a very short period and winds then increasing up to potential gusts of almost 100 kilometres an hour uh, by tea time on Sunday so pretty serious stuff coming no name for that storm yet, no? No, it hasn't been named yet and the fact that they've gone with a yellow warning for now means that maybe they're not going to but uh, I don't know, it's hard to it's hard to think about what they're going to do but um, it hasn't been named yet but that's not to say it won't be named Yeah, okay, Southwest winds. Uh, at least they're not southeast because they tend to be the strongest around here on the southern coast. But I, I think what's going to happen Sunday will merit a name. It's going to be one of the big, uh, one of the big storms of the last twelve months. Uh, it'll certainly match anything that came before. I think it, it certainly has that potential. And some of the weather models show it being the strongest storm we've seen in quite a while. 
but other weather models have a tracking further south and not developing as rapidly. So it's all about timing and track. Um, worst case scenario, it could leave a right mark. But um, hopefully, hopefully, but that won't be the scenario. But there is certainly a risk of a very significant storm on Sunday. Yeah, at least a lot of the foliage is off the trees at this stage. Alan O'Reilly, who runs Carla Weather, as they call it locally, Carla. Uh, thanks very much and uh, people can check out Cheers. those videos etc on your Twitter account and other social media The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM Conversation that matters Now we finished yesterday's programme with uh, Paddy O'Brien, an advocate for the elderly and he was beseeching people on the, in the very very cold night that last night was to switch off their timers and leave their heating on uh, and to have some element of comfort but of course you're talking to a section of society that can ill afford that and in an energy, an energy credit loophole, um, it became obvious uh, to uh, people before Profit D, Richard Boyd Barrett, that there was something slightly amiss. Uh, constituents in his, uh, uh, in his own constituency started raising this issue. And he joins me on line two. Good morning, Richard Boyd Barrett. Good morning, Nick. Now, we, of course, the people who can afford this the least to, to burn energy the least uh, are the elderly but there's a particular cohort that seem to have fallen victim to this loophole uh, and they would be let's say single in the elderly category and maybe living in council housing can you explain what happened with the people coming into your constituency office yeah well as, as your listeners may know everybody who has got an energy connection was supposed to get a two credits of €150 against their electricity bill uh, to help with the cost of living crisis and particularly during the winter months where usage would be higher. Uh, But we discovered over the last week or two that uh, elderly people, particularly living on their own, did not get the credit because they hadn't used enough electricity. There's a, a low usage threshold And if you don't use more electricity than that threshold, you don't get the credit. And of course, people didn't know this. uh, And many people who are on low incomes, it would appear, were desperately trying to reduce their electricity usage. That means not using their heating if it was based on electricity very much, not boiling the kettle too often, not leaving uh, using lights and so on. But they still thought they were going to get the credit, but they were afraid to go over the €150. And then they discover, because they had economised on their electricity use, they didn't get the credit. It's almost like being penalised €150. Being penalised for essentially imposing hardship on yourself in order not to get your bills too high. Uh, And then you suffer. So these are precisely the cohort that the credit should be helping. And it would appear... Uh, many of them have been penalised because they try to keep their their energy use low. And what, was um, I was I correct, Richard, in uh, my estimation that the cohort here would be mostly uh, single elderly in council accommodation? I, I think single elderly, and certainly the two cases that we came across were in council accommodation. But in fact, I think probably it could be any single single or elderly person who would be on a low income. They could be in council housing or they, they might not be, but who are afraid of having bills that they can't pay and therefore are dramatically reducing their energy usage. And in fact, as I've looked into it a bit further, in order to stay under that threshold, people really would have been reducing their uh, electricity usage to pitifully low levels. 
uh, and probably suffering as a consequence in terms of their use of heating and light and boiling kettles and uh, so on. So uh, this is really a pretty outrageous loophole that needs to be addressed as a matter of urgency by the government. I'm not quite sure why the threshold was there. It may have been to do with empty properties. Yeah, holiday homes maybe. Uh, and yeah, and uh, you know, that's reasonable, but it should not have caught in the crossfire people who really, really need this credit. Uh, and the government need to address it urgently and they need to retrospectively give those credits to people. I mean, in the first instance, I would encourage anybody who's been affected by this to get onto their energy provider. Uh, but we've also asked the minister to act urgently to address to address this. Okay, so a property needs to have used at least 150 kilowatt hours of electricity per quarter. That's about what 60, 65 euro worth. Um, but you must also yes. qualify. This is this is crazy. For the four consecutive quarters between July 22 and June 23, you must have had hit the, hit that level as well. Uh, but for comparison, the average annual electricity usage in a four-person household is 4,200 kilowatt hours. 150 kilowatt hours, by the way, uh, is about boiling a kettle twice a day, maybe, or leaving a fridge running non-stop. Yeah, and a few lights, possibly. Can you imagine so, the you know, abject course, misery that people were living in, try, trying to absolutely. save electricity for this? Absolutely. Now, I mean, of course, it is over the year. Uh, so during the summer months, people might have uh, kept their heating off completely. But during the winter months, for people to be uh, for elderly, vulnerable people living alone, to be turning off their heating to that extent or to be not using lights or not boiling kettles, I mean, that is a lot of hardship. Uh, and that hardship was imposed precisely so they wouldn't have to pay bills over the 150, but then they discover they actually get a bill. Okay, how, um, how, how can it be fixed in retrospect now? I, I think the government immediately have to give credits to, to uh, give those credits to people where, you know, they are clearly living in a property, uh, regardless of the usage. Um, and what I would say is I think probably people affected should get onto their energy provider and if they don't get uh, if they don't get satisfaction because I think there's some discretion for the energy providers uh, if, uh, according to the kind of the regulations around this so the first instance they should and that's what we've done for the people who came to us we haven't got a response yet but uh, simultaneously I'm asking the minister to to contact the energy providers and ensure that people get these credits retrospectively. And if I might just take the opportunity as well, Nick, to mention another significant cohort of people who also are losing out on some of the other cost of living measures supposed to help people through the winter is people on short-term social welfare payments are not getting the fuel allowance and not getting some of the associated uh, cost of living one-off payments. So if you were on job seekers allowance for less than nine months, if you're on back to enterprise allowance, if you're on back to education allowance and a number of other what are called short term social welfare payments, even though you're on the same low income as other social welfare recipients, you're not getting the payments because you're on those short term payments. And that's that's really unfair as well. And in fact, that wasn't the case last year. We raised this last year and the government extended the one-off payments to that group. But this year, they haven't given it to them. So there's a lot of people on very, very low incomes. In, in some cases, people 
who may have just lost their job or who've trying to upskill or get back into into work through the back to enterprise scheme, uh, but are on very very low incomes and they're not getting the one off payments or the fuel allowance, and that is really grossly unfair. When you look at how cold it is out there at the moment and people, the need for people to turn on their heating, it, uh, that's I would ask even now the government should do something urgently about that. And if, if, they, if they gave it last year, Richard, they must have actively considered. Uh, they must have changed it actively to, that, to take it this it year. And so they know it that, exists. That's the way they know. Well, in fact, last year they also left, excluded that group, and then we raised it with the minister, and they changed. They changed uh, and ex- extended it last year, but this year they've rolled it back again. And that is really unfair. And as you say, that looks like a conscious decision to exclude some people, yeah, even and- though they're on the same low level of income that other people are, who are getting the credit. Uh, are getting the one-off payments would be on. Meanwhile, 100% of millionaires get the electricity credit even though they don't need it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's when you're talking about people on very, very low levels of income, vulnerable people, uh, it really, really is unfair. And so the government need to act urgently. Uh, I mean, you think, I mean, I just heard your weather forecast there. We're all feeling the cold at the moment. There are people on low incomes who are really struggling at the moment and the government needs to act to close these loopholes and give people the support they need. Okay, happy to give you the opportunity to clarify those points, Richard Boyd Barrett. Can I take this opportunity to ask you, uh, just on a personal level, what's life like in Doyle Aaron at the moment? I can't really ask this of a party politician. And I know you're in a people before profit party, but things must be difficult enough to work in Doyle Aaron. There's, There's so much negativity and so much grief out there at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you could say things are looking a bit bleak, uh, whether it's on the international scene with what's happening with Gaza or uh, these protests being directed against um, people who come to this country fleeing war, looking uh, for refuge. Uh, That's, you know, really pretty awful stuff. And uh, I, I would just say to people, I mean, I think people out there have legitimate uh, reasons to be angry, very legitimate reasons to be angry over the housing crisis in this country or uh, over the, the cost of living crisis, the lack of services and amenities. But we need to unite together rather than, you know, targeting vulnerable people. We need to unite together and, and put pressure on the government to address these issues. And we're stronger together with the sort of toxic divisive uh, atmosphere that uh, some seem to want to whip up to divide uh, and cause conflict in our society is is a very negative thing and I think I'd ask people to pull back from that and let's unite together to fight for the things that we need. We're a very, very wealthy country but that wealth needs to be fairly distributed in order to address the housing crisis and the problems our society face at the moment. Yeah, when, when do you see the election being called? I, I look, it's hard to predict because it's entirely in the government's hands and they'll probably pick when they consider most suitable for them. Uh, if I was guessing, I would say probably the autumn after the budget. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's only speculation, to be honest. And yeah. I, I suppose the government will, as they tend to do, do things when it suits them. 
Okay, uh, it's in the hands of the Taoiseach as it always is, of course. So, uh, thank you so much yeah. for bringing up those uh, those points. I have a statement here uh, that I read out now. But Richard Boyd Barrett, thank you. I know you've got a constituency uh, office to go to and lots of meetings planned. So, thank you for taking the time yeah. to elaborate on that. Thanks, Nick. Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye, Richard Boyd Barrett, TD there uh, of the People Before Profit Party. Now, I have a statement here uh, from the uh, press office of the uh, Department of the Environment uh, on the low usage threshold threshold check. So if you haven't or feel you haven't uh, been uh, qualified or having received the uh, or have received the uh, energy credit, this may be of interest to you. The only qualification for receiving a credit is that electricity usage for a property as registered through an MPRN, that's your unique number, uh, with the ESB networks must pass a low usage threshold check. Uh, that's conducted by ESBN, which I'm assuming is ESB Networks. To pass this check, a property must have registered at least 150 kilowatt hours of electricity use per quarter for the four consecutive quarters between July 22 and June 23. The average annual use of electricity in a four-person household is about 4,200 kilowatt hours. So to fail the low usage threshold check and not receive a credit, a property would basically need to be empty and have recorded less than a quarter of this amount or 600 kilowatt hours between July 22 and June 23. Uh, But don't panic here. This amount of energy is roughly what you would use over three months uh, if you had a fridge freezer plugged in, if you boiled a kettle twice a day or if you'd one light bulb on in the house for two hours a day. It's amazing to think that people would be scrimping and scraping and wouldn't uh, be using electricity for fear uh, of, of cost uh, and then, ironically, failed to qualify. Uh, finally, the statement says, any customer who's due an energy credit but hasn't been granted one by their energy provider can contact the Commission for Energy Regulation for support. Uh, let's go to line one. We have Thomas Gould holding there. Oh, sorry, Tom, I beg your pardon. Uh, just Thomas. I thought it was Thomas Gould. Beg your pardon. Thomas, good morning. Morning Hello? to you, sir. You've no heating since last Tuesday. No, 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 and uh, I've been phoning the corporation and uh, they said that they'll come out and they'll just fix the roof around me, so and uh, and they haven't, uh, they haven't been out since, and the only place I can sit is in the living room with blankets around me because it's just the only source of heat, and I haven't, they haven't become no check you know. Okay, so you can sit in the sitting room. You can't move out of there because everywhere else is so cold. Uh, and uh, and how, how do you sleep then? I have to sit in the chair. I just sit in the chair. can be self-wrapped up. I just not often wake up, not often wake up, you know. Okay, how, how's yeah. your health? I believe you have emphysema. Uh, yeah, yeah. So wh- why are you not being prioritised? Well, I don't know. I don't know. My 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 doctor rang rang as well yesterday, and uh, and they, they said that they, they, they sent that out, and nobody called. And there was a foreman outside my door yesterday, and I asked him just to come in and have a look, and he said I can't. He said because just he's walking up with a couple of doors up along. And I said well, it'll take you five minutes to have a look at it, and he wouldn't come in. So I don't know what's going on at all. Why, why wouldn't he come in? Does he have to have a works docket or something? I don't know. He said he's busy up the road. I said, look, it's only take five minutes to do it. So he said, do you know? Yeah, okay. Uh, what Sorry. what sort of heating is it? I have a stove. Okay, and how how is that broken? 
not the best of phone lines, Thomas. I'm having difficulty uh, hearing you, but uh, can, can anybody else come in and do this for you, or does it have to be done by the corporation for some silly insurance reason or something? It has to be done by the corporation, yeah. Yeah, you must be frozen, are you? Oh, but, I mean, I mean, just... It's, uh, it was four o'clock, then I was watching Sky News, and it was, it was minus five, and then it six o'clock, and the ATV News, it was minus six in Cork again, as well, this one, and that's, that's a good answer, but it's just since Tuesday night. Yeah. Okay, so if if you put the stove on, you're going to risk carbon monoxide poisoning, are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm just looking at an empty stove there, no dick. You know, and just over the time because once it's on, it warms up the home hold, the whole house, like, you know. All right. Um, is, is it a job you could do yourself? Oh, I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to have been down and do it at all. Like, you know what I mean? If I was a fizzle enough, I'd be able to do it, like, you know what I mean? But, but uh, you know, it is a special, a special glue and whatever material they have that they put on it, like, you know. Okay, if 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 anyone of the powers that be, it's just, it's just, it's a it's a corporation house, is it? Yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, if anyone of the powers that be is listening, we beseech you to uh, fulfil your promise of of priority, uh, so so that uh, Thomas can be warm tonight. Um, ironically, of course, the cold spell is passing. Um, just hang on there, uh, hang on there a second, uh, Thomas. Kieran Gould, morning to you, sir. How are, we, how are you? A long time since we spoke. You're, you're the coal merchant and you've got the chimney sweep business as well. I'm in our round up, I. <laughs> like myself. I'm in our round up. I, go, I, I come out and I saw that man out there today if you want to. You'd you know what to do, would you? I got out to the street Okay. You're, you're going to. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll facilitate you with the address and look, if we can fix it, Thomas, we'll have it done for you in a few minutes with Kieran Gould, okay? Yeah, what part of the city is he? What part of the city are you, Thomas? The north side. North side. I think you are as well, uh, Kieran. Yeah, I built the other lunchtime there for Okay, we, we'll have it sorted today, and, and uh, we'll come. We'll come back to you on Monday. See what kind of weekend you had, Thomas. All right. Uh, all right. And Kieran, thanks again for your generosity and offering to fix that. He, apparently, he was prioritised, or told he was prioritised, and nobody showed up. They say that all the time. I'm going to people there. They be freezing to death inside the houses. The corporation don't care about anyone. Thanks, Thomas. How, how much is a bag? How, how much is a bag of coal now, Kieran? It all depends. Big bag. There's cheap coal. There's there's all different coals. There. There's you have the cheaper one. You have the other one. A good smoker's coal. So it's going from if you're collecting over here, you're going from about twenty six, twenty seven, the level up to twenty four, twenty five. Right, you know. It all depends what grade of coal you want. If you want the cheap coal, just to get you going, you know? Yeah. You you, you seem very sure that uh, people are being left down by the powers that be. Did you have any other particular stories uh, or, or facts about that? Oh, it way and people just have to get the stoves off and all whatever. Like, that stove probably won't clean the nails. And they're not doing it, so that's all it needs is cleaning up. If there's a bend at the, uh, at the, um, at the back of the uh, point, the sort the soot falls down there and, and blocks the bins so it's, it needs to clean the ground I've roped there as well I'll talk about 
Okay, and, and is, is that your normal Oshin stoves and that kind of thing that that that, that burn the nuggets? Yeah, that'd be a solid fuel while it's it's a it's smoke as coal and and timber that burn like you know. Okay, she'd be yeah. yeah. They, they they throw a tremendous heat, but of course they're going to be cleaned every season or two, don't they? If they have a flexi pipe in them, then you have to clean. If you're burning all timber, you have to clean twice here, like you know. But uh, most the they are fast clean. They have that soft to the on the half low. I know, but just just for safety's sake and for clarity and transparency, uh, Thomas is of the opinion that only a corporation person can fix it. Um, but you, no, you, no, you, not. you, you're an experienced no. and, and registered in this area, insured in this area, so you're an expert in well, this I area. Do it. I do the 15 years anyway, so I must know something about them. Okay. All right, Kieran. So I'm doing the 15 years, so it's mostly stoves. Mo- mostly stoves, okay. You, you, you're the expert. The man is cold. Let's forget about the bureaucracy and yeah. get him warm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I give him a couple of bags of cold as well to keep him warm. Oh, big hearted of you. How about that, Thomas? Yeah. That's yeah, but you said that you pay for me. No problem. <laughs> ah, Thomas, don't don't worry. We're here. Yeah. We're here to help. Uh-huh. Oh, no, I never minded. I he'd be waiting a long time before the council come out. They're useless. Uh-huh. I tell you, know, all they want is put the immigrants up there and all that. I'll sort them out. He'd have he'd have the fire going. I send the fire back to Seamus. Okay, we're we're trying to have a light-hearted day, a bit more so than uh, Monday to Thursday here. I think you're going to set us off again now. Thanks, it's all, all the fun of the fair. Thanks, Thomas, and thanks, Kieran Gould, cold merchant and uh, chimney sweeper, offering to help out. Yeah, Kieran. So we got sit at his address here. We'll talk about the outside of it. We'll yeah. sort it out. Thanks, Emil. Coming up on ten thirty. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. Oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. And a selection of texts from those uh, text and WhatsApp lines. By the way, the number is 0868-104-106. On presidential wages, no wonder Higgins took a second term. It's a massive wage at this time as people struggle with the cost of living bills. For someone that was in labour, it just goes to show how adrift this country's uh, elite are from the ordinary person now, so says Anthony. Uh, on coffee, I don't go for the food, but McDonald's provides an excellent coffee. Very smooth Americano. No milk, no sugar, says a texter. On the Ukraine, Ukrainians receive more money here annually on the dole than their president receives in salary. No wonder they're opting to come to corrupt, drug-ridden Ireland in their droves. Uh, check the register is this topic, and this is a very interesting one, actually. Good morning, Mick. I wonder if you'd put it out on the air this morning to advise people to go to checktheregister.ie to update their details. I was on Instagram last night and saw a man in Sligo who was running for council in the upcoming local elections. He's making people aware that even though your details haven't changed, you still have to do it. I checked mine and lo and behold, my details needed updating. I didn't get any notifications from the city council or registrars about it. The Sopranos would be in awe of the gangsters running this island, a.k.a. the Irish government. Uh, so says Tyg. Uh, I'm not really sure. Are you saying, Tyg, that uh, maybe you could call us. Are you saying that unless you update your details and check the register.ie, you will not be able to vote in the local elections? But it certainly warrants investigation. Uh, if you're uh, someone that likes to vote and treasures the ability to have the vote in this republic, uh, then it wouldn't be any harm uh, to go on to check the register.ie 
and uh, see if uh, you can update or need to update uh, update your details there. All right, a happy birthday message. Can you wish Pa the Piper a happy 80th uh, birthday for today? He's having a huge party in the cow in Mayfield tonight and everyone is welcome. Uh, and that's from 7pm. Pa the Piper, happy 80th, uh, having a huge party in the cow in Mayfield uh, tonight. On the fireball issue, I saw the shooting star last night while out walking with my wife up on the north side of the city and it was cool. Uh, some texts from yesterday. Uh, Mick, great show but get Jason off the air. He's on about plantations and the like. How's that for stirring things? Does he not know the difference between public and private properties? He still wants to protest even though it was guaranteed live on air that no unvetted men would be housed there. What's he protesting about so? And now Conor McGregor on GoFundMe is the answer to homelessness. Uh, where were they for the last 15 years? Homelessness isn't a new problem. Tell them to read the Constitution and Statutes of Ireland or let the government come out and tell the people of Ireland how many migrants we have to take in as being part of Europe. It's a governmental issue. The only way to change that is through the ballot box. Get these protesters to go and run for government. That's the only way to change anything, uh, says Philip in the city. Uh, I wonder if Jason would accept a halting site. They're our own people too, says Dennis from Mahan. Uh, and some very positive comments on the interview with uh, Kevin Sharkey. Uh, well done, Kevin Sharkey. Excellent foresight, said Mike. Uh, and there are many more like that that came in yesterday. Uh, people would actually vote for him for the European Parliament if he was in this uh, or our local constituencies. One more. We just heard on the news that the COH has the longest wait times in the country, yet we keep bringing people in. These people, mainly men, are economic migrants, not refugees or asylum seekers. Why should we accept a dramatic downgrade in our living standards to accommodate these people? We owe them nothing. Our government needs to start putting Irish people first. And I'll try and get to the rest of yesterday's texts and keep up with today's before we uh, finish the programme at 12 midday today. Let's go to uh, line one and Ken O'Connell. Hello. Hi Ken, how are you doing? Now you're of Not Ken... Bad, Very good. You're of Ken O'Connell Electrical and uh, let, let's talk about apprenticeships in general. More concerns yeah. are emerging that apprentices are dropping out of apprenticeships or even emigrating uh, for what seemed to be a better life before even finishing them. Yeah, I see that piece in the paper there. Your researcher sent it to me there last night. Um, it's fairly shocking, really, Mick, I suppose, if uh, the numbers are that low. But it's what we're all saying in the construction industry constantly, Mick, is we need more and more apprentices. Um, we need more people leaving school, doing their leaving cert and coming into the apprenticeships, coming into the trades. Um, there's a huge shortage. We have massive building to do in this country, massive. There's loads and loads of work out there. Um, we just don't have the... There is an increase. There has been an increase, to be fair, in the last couple of years, Mick, but it's still uh, nowhere near the numbers that we need coming through, you know? Okay. I, I remember when apprentices were getting 50, 50 points a week. Uh, so if, if, yeah. somebody, if somebody joins you now as an electrical or electrician's apprentice, uh, what sort yeah. of money can they uh, expect to so subsist I think, on? I think the, the first, year, first year rate would be around about €350 a week. Um, and then in your second year, it would go up to just over €400 a week. Third year you'd be into around five hundred euro a week, and then by your fourth year, then you're you're nearly at eighty percent of the qualified rate. And the qualified rate is, I think, it's around twenty six or twenty seven euro an hour now at the moment. You know. Okay, so it, 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 just, just to put that in annual figures, I don't have the figures for um, 
I imagine it's about 22 or 23. Oh. Anyway, the electrical apprentices yeah. will earn 17,000 a year uh, at the yeah. start. By year three, they're on 32,000. Uh, in year four, yeah. on 40,000, still learning but nearly qualified. And when they qualify, exactly. they'll be on 48,000 a year. Not many college courses where you put five or six years down for your master's or whatever would uh, would give you the 48 grand a year, uh, starting out anyway. Uh, but you can be there uh, with a trade uh, if, if you become an electrical apprentice. Well, that's the thing, Mickey. Yeah, not just electrical, across all the trades. Like those are that's that's the positive about the the, the apprenticeship model. It's an earn and earn while you learn model. You know, so instead of going to college and having to pay college fees and so on and so forth, you're earning all the time. You're also getting the best of both worlds, Mick, because you're on the job training with your with your employer. We're actually learning the trade, but then you have the off the job phases where you actually go into your college and you you're studying. So you're getting the best of both worlds. Um, you know, and you're earning while you're doing your apprenticeship. You're you're not sucked into a points race or anything like that. In general, the minimum qualification is the junior cert to start an apprenticeship. Uh, your wages are going up every year, as well. I'd always say to kids like an apprenticeship is is like it's like doing nursing. It's very general. You can go on then you can specialise in different things afterwards, you know? Yeah. Um, those are some of the advantages of doing an apprenticeship, you know? And of, of course, anyone with a trade, you have the opportunity to, to carry your credentials abroad or to carry them to different companies and different jobs uh, here within, within the confines of Ireland. So you, you have a selection and you can often jump up the pay grades by uh, the sheer lack of talent that's out there. Oh, absolutely. And um, in the apprenticeship, when you've done your apprenticeship, you can go back and you can study in college. You can go on and you can do a degree in your chosen field if you wanted to. But as a lot of the, like a lot of the people I would have been an apprentice with, they've gone into completely different industries. They've gone into management positions. They've gone on and studied other things. As I said, it kind of gives you a broad base to start with and it gives you a great foundation in life as well. You have your apprenticeship. You have, you're qualified. You have an ability to earn good money for the rest of your life if you want to stay at that but it also opens so many doors for you, you know. You can automatically get into second or third year in some college courses. Make another thing as well is what a lot of people don't realise about apprenticeships now is we have, an, we have apprenticeships now that go all the way to level nine, which is master's level. Your standard craft apprenticeship would be called a level six. Um, so your electricians, your plumbers, and so on, we'd qualify as what's called a level six. Level seven then would be an ordinary degree. Level eight would be your your honours degree but some apprenticeships go all the way up to level 9 which is your master's degree people don't realise that like there's apprenticeships in finance there's apprenticeships in biopharma uh, accounting uh, software development all these kind of things logistics there's loads of new apprenticeships it's not just your traditional craft apprenticeships you know, your electrician plumber carpenter block layer plaster it's not just those apprenticeships they've really spread it out now I think we have about 70 apprenticeships now at the moment different apprenticeships you know yeah, but for electricians in, in your particular area, yep. there's 395 people in phase one of an apprenticeship. There are seven phases. Yep. How, how many are in phase seven? Yeah, well, I read that piece in the paper as well where it said... Yeah. It 16. Said yeah, it said, well, 16. Two different figures, the quoted 83 and 16. Now, the only thing I'd say about that, Mick, is phase seven, just to explain what that is. So phase six is your kind of your final exams, Mick. So once you're finished phase six in the college... You're, you're more or less qualified. So I'd say a lot of a lot of those numbers would be just guys who'd actually be signed off by their employers as qualified, you know. So that's probably why the numbers are quite low in, in Phase 7. I, I, I don't know the exact numbers, Mick. I was only told about this last night, so I haven't had a chance to talk to ETBs to see exactly the numbers. But look, if that's what it says, 
it must be it's it's obviously it must be true. Yeah, that, that would mean there's a lot of attrition along the way, and people are possibly leaving for other offers or other countries. Uh, mean, meanwhile, the politicians are taking all the glory. Ministers Harris and Collins announced record numbers take up apprenticeships in 2023. But uh, what comes out the other end really is the the proof yeah, of the pudding, isn't it? Fair that's, and one of the big challenges as well for apprentices, Mick, is actually training the apprentices, getting them into the what we call the off-the-job phases. So when they go into the ETB in Cork and when they go into MTU in Cork, it's just the space and the facilities in those two institutions actually teach the apprentices. Um, there needs to be huge investment so we can get our apprentices through the system quickly. There was a huge backlog built up, Mick, a couple of factors, COVID, etc., and they're still trying to work through that backlog now, you know. And that's very frustrating for a young person who's starting an apprenticeship and it's supposed to be a four-year apprenticeship and it drifts into four and a half, five years, you know. That's that's, um, that's soul-destroying stuff, you know. So okay. we, we, I read Thomas Gould's piece where he's talking about a dedicated centre in Cork. That would be absolutely fantastic. Make Cork a centre of excellence for apprenticeships all over the country. We have fabulous, we have fabulous uh, teachers and lecturers and instructors down here, so why not? I'm just, I'm just getting some detail here. What is an apprentice? Someone who's training in order to gain practical experience in their preferred field. I think we all knew that anyway. So there are types of yeah. apprenticeships. There are craft apprenticeships. Uh, yeah. Let me see if I can turn on the page. There are, 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 are there, anyway, there are various types of apprenticeships. I have an article here that uh, concentrates on pay rates in building yeah. in, and the construction industry. Uh, year one, yeah. one third of the craft rate, uh, which is nineteen ninety six per hour. Year two, 50%, year three, uh, 75%, and year four, 90%. In the hair and beauty industry, no government recommendations regarding apprentice pay in the hair and beauty industry. In the restaurant and hospitality industry, pretty beleaguered at the moment with lack of staff. Yeah. Uh, like in the hair and beauty industry, no government recommendations. There in the electrical industry, uh, you've already given us the uh, the full yeah. SP on, on what's happening there. And in other areas yeah. of apprenticeships, um, it has to be realised apprentices are getting paid more than the national minimum wage uh, and of course they're learning a skill that they can take for life anywhere they want. Yeah, that's that's true and you have to factor that in. I know I know. sometimes we, you know, the low wages for say your first year of let's say the electrical apprenticeship relatively low wages I mean um, but like you're, you're, you're learning your trades you know it's, it's just part of an apprenticeship it's always been such it was the same for me when I started out you're, you, but as, as you learn and as you become more valuable to your employer your wages do increase you know yeah. um, and as you said when you come out it's 48, 50,000 a year and that's your basic but you know over time etc etc and the ability to do your own jobs on the side you know yourself there's, there's still you earn good money for the rest of your life within after an apprenticeship you know and it, it is the four years and when you compare it to college you come out after college you're not going to be starting that kind of money when you started your first job after your four year degree now I'm not against college or anything Mick I'm just hugely pro apprenticeships and I think we should, should be just encouraging kids all the time to look at the options and if it's something you're interested in if they're interested in it they're coming to fifth year sixth year in school just okay. encourage them that when they're first to leave are you guys busy Ken have you got have you got work booked uh, for, the, for the months ahead yeah yeah, yeah constantly busy Mick thank God and look you'll know yourself try to pick up the phone and try get an electrician or a plumber or a carpenter I think there's a huge shortage out there um, there's loads of work out there for any young people listening today they're half thinking about it go down that route you'll have a great life with it you know fantastic Ken O'Connell of Ken O'Connell Electrical thank you very much cheers okay. uh, Kieran. good morning Hi Mick how things ah, good Kieran. Your, your son is one of those that's currently doing the apprenticeship and uh, is in that seventh phase he's one of the sixteen yeah yeah, he's just finished up in MTU at the moment, oh, his last phase, Mick, you know. Um, and then he's to go back on the tools for a few weeks and he'll be fully qualified then. 
And what sort of temptations came his way during, say, phases three, four and five uh, of maybe emigrating like some people are doing, taking a few gap years, going to Australia, or was he just dedicated from the start? Yeah, he was dedicated, but he has it in his long-term plan to probably go abroad with his trade, like, you know. That's what he's indicated to us, you know, that um, when he's fully qualified, maybe give it a year or so here and then look at his options abroad. Yeah, and of course, um, always handy to have an electrician in the family, isn't it? It is, if you're going to do something for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the captain of the squeaky floorboard, but <laughs> it's strange, actually, because there's no history of anyone like that in our family. Um, you know, when he was in school, he said he didn't want to go to college. So I said, look, do you want to come into the furniture business? He said, no, not interested in doing that. And then one day he said, I want to be an electrician, out of the blue, to work here for him, but he absolutely loves it. He's making great money. And it's a, it's, a, it's a career that he has and he can bring him all over the world for life, like, you know? Yeah. He can do the travelling after with the uh, the cert tucked un- uh, under his belt. Happy days. Yeah. Yeah, more is his eyes. So basically, like, you know, and I, I think, as you know, as you know yourself, like, for all our kids, if they're doing something they like, it's 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 a privilege for us to watch them doing it, like, you know? Yeah, I guess if if you're not doing something you like, you'll dread going to work every day for the rest of your life. Kieran, Kieran, thank, thanks a million. Um, and then wish him all the best. One of the only uh, he's going to be in demand if there's only sixteen passing through final phase, isn't he? Yeah, that's what I believe. Yeah, I mean at the moment even it's very difficult to get any kind of trades, when especially electricians, like you know. All right, uh, thanks, busy, Kieran. Busy, busy, busy all the time. No, well, thanks, mate. Thanks. Go Morning to you. Conversation that matters. Just turned 10 to 11. TJ Hegarty, thank you for holding over the last few calls. Uh, we appreciate that. Now, you're talking about Matt's anxiety, and you've written a very interesting piece here, and I'm not trying to start a gender war. So tell me, uh, this is much bigger for girls than boys, this issue. But you're also going to say, and as I say, I'm not trying to start a war, boys actually do much better in maths exams generally. Tell us about it. Good morning, Mick, and thanks for having me on. So, just for context, uh, I I own and run a, an online math school called Breakthrough Maths. So, okay. we teach about two thousand kids a week from primary school right through to leaving cert to maths. And this issue came up. I noticed a trend in our classes where um, just that girls seem to be underperforming versus boys. Uh, in the final exam and I got a dug a bit deeper talked to the parents talked to the students themselves and pull up some stats and, and like as I pull up the stats I figured out that like girls had twice the level of anxiety with maths than boys so it's it's not about ability it's about uh, it's about anxiety there is no cognitive uh, there's no biological cognitive difference between girls and boys in terms of maths and yes, in terms of exams and in terms of choosing STEM careers, girls much, much underperform boys. Okay, when you, when you say STEM careers, you're talking science, tech, engineering and mechanical. That's exactly it. Yeah, they don't choose it. And um, there's a few reasons, but they, it's just that um, it, it's a strange one because like there's some there's some like there's some differences there's some issues to stereotypes and there's some issues with how math is as a subject itself um but but I, there's one key thing that it kind of comes down to when i talk to parents and i talk to students it's the the issue around failing and uh, if you look at maths right maths is so binary like it's yes it's you're either right or you're wrong and it's constant failure and it seems it seems that 
the uh, the issues around failing can knock the confidence of girls and they get more anxious about failing and the, the, the subsequent results and it seems to affect girls far more than boys. Yeah, so an issue of confidence seems to have been identified here uh, because in a survey only 13% of men surveyed uh, said maths made them feel anxious but when women were asked the percentage more than doubled to 29%. Uh, I'm also looking at a workforce gender gap study we said 49% of students taking higher level maths in the Leaving Cert are girls, so it's 50-50 almost, uh, but only 25% of people in the STEM workforce, that's in the science, tech, engineering and medical workforce uh, here in Ireland, are women. And here's another one. There's a, in the States, uh, 91% of people believe men are better investors than women. Right, and statistically, women are not point four percent better at at actually trading than men. So like, right. it, it's all stereotyped wrong. But it's so strange. Maths is the only subject, right, that actually has a term of anxiety linked to it. You've never heard of like geography anxiety or history anxiety. It's maths, and it's that whole thing around failure and the concept of it that really puts people and um, knocks people off the subject, and girls in particular. Okay, now we often hear mothers saying that they were never good at maths and your dad can help you with your maths stuff. Are they copping out uh, or is this leading to the stereotype that maths comes easier to boys than girls? It leads to it. No, uh, it, lead, it certainly leads to it. And um, I hear that I hear that often. Less and less so. I think parents are, are very much copping on to it, but that's, that's a part of it for sure. But it, it's all around us. Like... In the movies, it's always men who are the investors or the Wall Street people. It's always men who are there, you know. And the opportunities for for girls in maths and engineering are huge. Like, especially with uh, gender pay gaps and stuff, the opportunities for girls to enter into maths, to have careers in STEM, are massive. And it should be shouted from the rooftops that more girls to study uh, STEM courses in university because the opportunities are massive. Yeah, I mean, I, I did my leaving in 1982 and there was a definite barrier, right? I, we had a choice of, uh, I don't know, woodwork or, say, metal engineering, whatever it was. Uh, and the girls had a choice of, uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, home economics and that kind of thing. So so there was definitely separate arrangements uh, in movement training, as they called it, for boys and girls. So allowing boys to learn skills and techniques while girls learned essentially style and grace and and being in the home. And that, that's all changed now. That's well over, you know, that's 40, over 40 years ago. So n- now it's equal opportunity. Now it's equal attendance all to 1% uh, at the higher level maths. But we're not seeing it translate into the STEM, uh, science, etc. areas. And it's still happening. Even last year, there was a huge... the. Um there was a huge difference between boys and girls in terms of the, the leaving sort of results and there was a gap. Uh, so like, if there's parents at home with uh, with a girl in, in, in primary school or secondary school, it's just to encourage them to really enjoy the maths and to get stuck in and to embrace failure. This is the real important tip I want to give to parents, right? It's maths. The most important part about maths is understanding failure. Okay, and we've got the breeze coming up soon. It might be nice to talk to you again about that. But I'm intrigued and I want to repay you slightly uh, by letting you tell us about Breakthrough Maths. Are you doing it on kind of a Zoom mega class with thousands of people or what? <laughs> no, uh, it's small classes. So um, I set this up in COVID. I, I was teaching maths around Whitechurch and Blarney uh, locally to people in, and uh, I saw a massive issue with, with how with people needing extra help in maths and we started teaching kids in small classes on Zoom and we started adding testing into our classes and it just kicked like the, the we've got teachers from UCC and UCD and Trinity who are 
young they're, they're fresh they bring a bit of energy to the class get everyone involved and just seeing students kick and yeah, it, so, it sounds very very intriguing and if parents or if students be they male or female want to know more and maybe embrace maths a little more uh, I must take a break for news but they can uh, go to breakthroughmaths.com that's it alright TJ Hegarty thank you very much and good morning to you sir The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM conversation that matters and Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, joins us on line two. Uh, hi, Thomas. Good morning, Mick. How are you keeping? I'm not too bad. You, we're going to start with apprenticeships. Um, you, you have a couple of instances here which would be uh, of interest to our listeners. Well, in the joint yesterday, I raised it with Minister Harris about the, I suppose, the huge problems that there are with apprenticeships and apprenticeship numbers and people trying to access apprenticeships like, um, like what I've been calling for for the last number of years is that there should be a purpose-built uh, apprentice centre and I've been looking for that to be uh, located on the north side. And I've actually met with the MTU last year and I've asked them, would they consider, because what you see in Dublin is you see different campuses belong to M- uh, DCU and different universities around the city. Because what I'm seeing now at the moment, just to let your listeners know, I'm seeing seven at the moment. There are only 83 apprentices finishing phase seven. Like, we're in the middle of a housing crisis now. I think there was there's a 14 plumbers and 16 electricians or vice versa that are in phase seven at the moment. And what I'm also being told is that... Um, the majority of them are going to leave. They're emigrating to Australia because they can't seem to get a house here. They can't find somewhere to rent. They're sick and tired. They're living in the bathroom with their parents. Now, don't get me wrong. Their parents are great. But when like, people want to have their own lives. And the other thing, Mick Dennis, what we're seeing is a huge drop-off in apprentices giving up or moving on because the wages and the conditions are so poor that they can get a job at McDonald's or a job in the shop that pays better money. And yeah, but that, that's not going to give them the qualification for life that could take them around the world. But I, I do take your point. Uh, certain sacrifices have to be made and apprenticeships, by their very nature, suit young people uh, because they're prepared to put the, the few years they would have went to college into learning their trade. It doesn't, however, suit older people who may be coming off a higher wage and can't afford to do that four-year lower-wage training. You see, this should be an, an incentive there to retrain people all the time, to get more older people involved, to get more women involved. Like, like you look at electricians now, plumbers, like, there are a lot of tradespeople out there now that we, we like, I was talking to a friend of mine recently, just, before, just after Christmas, and he told me that uh, he wasn't looking, he was an, he's an electrician. And he said he wasn't looking forward to 2024. And I asked him why. And he said he's up the wall. He can't cope with the work, the pressure of him and other people in the trades are under at the moment. And the, the point he was t- making is they can't get young people to stay in the trades. And the young fellas that are the young people that do complete it are leaving. And the, the point I made to the minister is there must be an incentive to get kind of older people like normally you were 70 or 18 or 19 when you went away and became an apprentice like if, if you're if you're a man or a woman oh, in your 20 in your late 20s or 30s or 40s 
it does physically kill you to go back because the wages are so low, the conditions are so bad that it's just not an avenue. And I, I believe that, and I said it to the minister yesterday in the chamber, like, there must be a way of getting people. So we're in the middle of a crisis. And not just, not just in apprenticeships for um, electricians and plumbers and carpenters and masons, but in all the trades, metalwork, pipe fitting. I'm talking to people now who are business people, and they're saying they can't get trained still workers that they... They're not, just, they're not just being produced. They're not being trained. And like, I, I believe MTU and the Cork ETV need to be resourced more by the government. Like I was out in the MTU uh, visiting, and they have a brilliant campus out there. It's a fabulous campus. But it's not big enough. It's not big enough to get out the number of salespeople that we need. Tommy, we'll, we'll move on because there's three things I want to cover. That, that was one of them. But tell me about the 24 half-built houses that have been in Nocknaheeny for now nearly five years. Yeah, well, I tell you, though, Mick, this is a scandal. And for anyone who lives in Nocknaheeny or who drives up at home to Road every day, tackle computers or to go to walk up to school, to look at these houses, it's a sin. Some of these houses are, are the outsides are finished, and the other ones then it kind of goes down at a scale, and some of them then are at let's say foundation stage. Now these houses were started almost five years ago, and it's after affecting the regeneration of Nakhimini, but it's also after slowing it. Like new people in Kalaligans and Dunmorgans now who are waiting to move out of their homes who can't because this is blocking them. And the reason, we've organised a protest tomorrow at 12 o'clock. And what I would say to Mick, if anyone is around, I'm not meaning, but this is a city-wide problem. The housing emergency. We're asking people to come up between 12 and 1 to show, the, to show their support and to call in the government and talk to the council to finish these houses. Like, I don't even know now whether these houses will have to be, can be saved or have to be knocked because they've been open to the elements for five years. It, it, it's an absolute disgrace. And this week in the Dáil, it also is uh, on Wednesday, about there are 1,150 half-built uh, uh, projects that haven't moved in since this government have been in. That's 1,150 houses right across the country. There are people and families who be living in now. So we're asking people, it's a protest, 12 o'clock on Kilmer Road by the water tower tomorrow for one hour to come out and send a clear signal to the government that people need housing. We need, people need a home. They need someone to raise their families. And for people to not be me and the regeneration, this has just been a... I've driven past some some of those homes, Tommy, and uh, I have to say, because I don't pass by there that often... Uh, that Nocknaheeny is looking a hell of a lot better than it used to. Uh, but of course, when you don't drive past that often, you don't, you don't know that progress has stalled. No, and can I say, no, Nocknaheeny is flying. And Nick, I want to send out a clear message. But the problem is, these 24 houses are holding up the whole regeneration. And just to let you know, Mick, I went to the first regeneration meeting in September 2000. That was 24 years ago, 23 and a half years ago. Like, in Ballymun, I think they built 1,100 houses in 10 years. In Nakhnihini, they built over, only over 100 nod in, this, in 20 years. Like, 
they've completely knocked and rebuilt by Ross. They've completely knocked and rebuilt Ali Mud. And then the people in Atmahili are dealing with this for 23 years. So don't get me wrong, we welcome the regeneration, but it, it needs to be quickened up, it needs to be delivered. And like, if you're there, Nick, and you're looking, and your son or your daughter hasn't had a house, and you see these houses right across the road from you, around the corner, empty, and like people are living in boxes, people are rearing children, three or four in, in a room because they can't buy a house because house prices are too high. They can't rent the house, even if they could get them. The average rent now is nearly 1,800 euros. And they can't, and it's 10 years of waiting to get a house from Cox City Council. Have, have you and seen the regeneration of Ballymont, Tom? Yes, I went up there, yes. Like, it, it's unbelievable what the amount of money they spent in there. And, like, Ballymont would have had, I suppose, because of the high-rise flats and what have you, uh, no, don't get me wrong, Ballymont still has some issues, but compared to what it was... Yeah. Um, I, I remember uh, you, you two commenting about uh, Ballymun and their song, Running to Stand Still. I see seven towers, but I only see one way out. It's completely changed now, and that's down to proper cohesive investment. Uh, OK, listen, uh, best of luck with the protest tomorrow. There was one other issue. I know you were trying to talk to me, and I couldn't get around to you, uh, regarding the p- potential or proposed renaming of Parky Kiev. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, well, I'm completely opposed to it. I think the vast majority of the people at Cork are opposed to it, Mick. Like, uh, this was named after a famous Irish Republican after a brilliant year, man, the man who brought uh, the Gaelic Association to a new level. And, Mick, I have to be honest, right? Um, I'm a Vince's man. All my family are steeped in in Holland and football and Camogie. We love the GA. no, people might say, why is this such a big deal? But for people like me and for the GA people out there who love the association, who love what it stands for, for our history, our culture, our language and our heritage, and like, to be selling our soul, like, like this is not what the GA is about. Right? The GA is about community, about your parish, about your family. And then to come along and try to sell the naming rights of it. Like, to me... The GA is going the wrong direction. They're going down commercialise. They're going down about profit. I want to see the GA do more about that, more young people playing sport. Like Nick, when was the last time you drove around or walked around the city and you see young boys and young girls out the road holding? No, it still happens, but they're not to the same level. And last year in the door, and I raised it with the Crow Park with the head of the GA. Like Holland is in the height of trouble. Where are people, especially in the city, in certain parts of the city, and the GA need to be doing more to promote Holland, to promote Gaelic games, and to promote being we're an amateur organisation, we're proud Irish people, and the association is at the heart. Like, there's not a day in, in my house that either me or my wife or one of our kids are either up Vince's field or at a match or, or watching the game or going to training. Like, it, it's such a huge part of our family and other families around the, around the, the city and the country. And so what we are saying is this is the wrong way. The country board have gone around. I'm glad to see that they've, they've caused this. But and I would also like to say the super value are a great organisation. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I was at pains to point out there's nobody in this whole 
situation, the, the whole furore that that erupted during the week. There's nobody questioning the bona fides of uh, of Supervalue. They're very, very good for supporting all manners of sport across the community. Well, they're the main sponsor of Supervalue Holly Hill or St. Vincent. And if you go to talk with the bells or if you go out to Grand Moyer, you will see Supervalues everywhere. And I'm very disappointed because they've come out uh, with a negative here after doing all good work. And I think the county board have made a huge mistake. I think we need to regroup now and say that party will for always be held the same name. And I think, like, we have a proud tradition of GA and Cork. And like, to try to sell our souls here, I, I, was, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And I, I think everyone, I was up in Dublin this week now, this is the talk of the country that this was ha- this tried to happen. But the one thing that people said to me was um, they thought it was great the way the cop people stood up. But the only thing about it then, the slagging I've got from people in Dublin and Kerry about uh, this had never happened. Like, a fellow says to me, can you imagine if they tried to rename Cork Power? Or Collins' barracks? It wouldn't happen. Wouldn't happen. Did you hear the Mario Rosenstock piece in it? I mean, it's complete. No. Oh. <laughs> Another piece of classic art from Mario. Absolutely brilliant. Thomas, we'll leave it there. Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin t- uh, for, uh, TD for the Cork North Central. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll no be back problem. to our phone lines and to Linda in a moment. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. And Linda, do you mind holding for one more minute and I'll be with you then? Are you there? Yeah, no problem. Okay, yeah. yeah, we'll have a laugh and then we'll get on to the serious stuff, right? Uh, okay, Wednesday's Gift Grub on Today FM. I mentioned it to uh, Councillor Tart, to, uh, TD Tommy Gould there. And fair play to the uh, very effective production team. Up they dragged it. It's here in what we call the hot keys. And let's have a bit of a laugh. But this was some of the national uh, airwave stuff that was going on about Super Value Park Kiev. Ten minutes to go in the Munster Hurling semi-final in Super Value Park. Kian Lynch has it for Limerick, just under the Super Value Real Reward Stand. He pucks it long. Garrod Hegarty, just beneath the Super Value Fruit and Veg section. He hits it. Holy Moses! Is it over the bar? Or is it? Is it what does Hawkeye say? Hawkeye says Super Value. That's Ireland as it should be. But this is unbelievable what's going on here today, Marty. Super Value Limerick are on fire by fresh Irish strip light steak down to twelve ninety nine a kilo, boy. Cordless rainbow trout fillets, 440 gram, 3 euro. And Whispering Angel Rose Wine, 18 euro a bottle, boy. That's unbelievable. I love to be Whispering Angel. Back to you, Marty. And that is the brilliant Mario Rosenstock on Gift Grub. Uh, very funny, if a little tongue-in-cheek. Back to Linda, more serious uh, issues. Hi, Linda. Hi. Now, you saw that man we were talking about yesterday in the wheelchair in town yesterday. You you, you would say he's very ill now. Oh, definitely. Um, and he has, like, um, shakes, you know, like, um, his body's uncontrollably shaking. I don't think that it would be just over the cord. I'd say it might be kind of like a medical condition, you know. Um, and it was clear to see that um, he wasn't in the best of health. And he had a quilt um, thrown right over his head from his head, covering him through the hole uh, down over the wheelchair. Um, and there was kind of lots of quilts and stuff that people had 
strapped to him, I'd say, you know. Yeah. Uh, this is our third him. time this week uh, highlighting his plight, Linda. I was shocked when we had to do it twice, even more so that uh, that he hasn't been helped by now. And I can only come to the conclusion um, that it must be very difficult for any particular organisation to look after him. I know he's uh, reported to have been aggressive to some people. Uh, I, I know he has almost open wounds now. Um, but I know correct. he must be suffering. Uh, I believe I believe. Um, early hours of this morning, he was supposed to be shifted by ambulance to hospital. Um, I think that was up on UR Cork page a while ago on Facebook. Um, there was like pictures of his legs and it said that he was shifted in the early hours of this morning. Now, I don't know if that information is... No, I know, uh, I know he was refusing to go to hospital because they, they had uh, discharged him. That may be one particular hospital. I don't know. Yeah, that's correct. He was um, supposedly in hospital before Christmas for treatment on his legs and um, he was discharged apparently because they said there was nothing more he could do. They, there's nothing more that they could do for him. Um, but again, I would know the background as to whether he wanted well, to stay, you know, to have the treatment or... Okay, so you, you, you saw him. Did you speak to him? Did you meet him at all? I did. I spoke to him um, briefly um, and I bought him something hot to drink. And there was lots of passerbys, to be honest, um, that actually stopped and spoke with him. Um he kind of didn't really want to engage um, as such. You know, he just kind of put the quilt back over his head again. Okay, stay, stay, on, the, um, stay on the line, Linda. Jade, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I, I'm good. You're part of the homeless crew. What's the homeless crew? We're the kindness crew. We're outside kindness the crew. Savoy on a, yeah, we're outside the Savoy on a Wednesday and Sunday. Okay. So this, um, this homeless man in the wheelchair has been to hospital. Apparently, they say there's nothing they can do uh, for his leg ulcers because there isn't any infection. They are, however, down to the bone. They're down to the bone. I've never seen ulcers like it. They're really, really bad. Really bad. This man needs to be in a nursing home or something. This, do you know what I mean? This is a disgrace. Are, are there, know, are there perhaps psychiatric services that, that could take him on? I don't know. I really don't know. We brought him to CUH on last Saturday. Um, they said he had no infection. There was nothing they could do. So he was brought back out to Patrick Street. Like I have pictures up on Facebook of his legs. It's just they're to the bone. Like all his whole left leg is full of ulcers. Uh, I mean, all all we can do on this programme is broadcast his need. Yeah. There's nothing we can do to to help him personally. We can't physically okay. go down there. We've no, we, There's nothing we can do. We, we can just broadcast the need that's here. I'm just wondering why our local press hasn't picked up on it and, and shown some of the pictures. I don't know. I don't know. I just put them on social media myself when I was in the hospital with John. I took pictures of his legs. You know, the man is covered in his own urine and so we, we, we had a guy on yesterday who, who was helping him to stand to urinate and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, Linda, was was he pleasant to you? Yeah, he wasn't aggressive in any way or shape or form. And he just kind of seemed, if anything, he seemed um, kind of like down and out. And like, obviously, he didn't want to interact, you know, um, to the extent that you could find out how you could help him, you know. But I just believe that highlighting the situation um, and getting it on air um, was just good again to get it out there because hopefully somebody somewhere, like whether it's psychiatric or whether it's, you know, he's put into the nursing home, as Jade said, there's definitely some intervention that needs to um, to occur, you know. 
You know, he seems to be falling between the cracks of every organisation that would be able to help him. And if he's not infected and the hospitals can't help him, then next, uh, all we're doing is imploring for this situation to be corrected. I know it's getting warmer tonight. He's going to be in torrential rain in 24 hours. Yeah, he's going to lose his legs. 100% he's going to lose his legs. Like, he's freezing cold, freezing cold. I gave him blankets last night. We give him blankets. I go into him every morning. I go into him every evening, giving him blankets just to make sure. Like, his feet are so swollen, you couldn't get a pair of socks on his feet. Really? Oh, yeah. I got fluffy socks, and I stretched them as much as I could to put on his feet. You know, it's, it's shocking. I don't know what to you say. Know, you know, we, you know, know. As a programme, we try to keep things a little more lighter on, on a Friday because some, some of the weeks can be tough, some, some, yeah. of the, some of the topics, but I have absolutely no problem in highlighting this drastic situation. Where do we go from here, guys? Linda? Jade? I was I just wondering even if, like, if it's TDs or somebody could um, intervene, you know, so that... I don't know, like, whether it would be, say, a nursing home or a daycare centre or something like that, you know, that his needs are kind of met and his legs would be dressed because I would imagine even if he was uh, treated in hospital, when he come out, there would need to be follow-up treatment. And obviously, if he's living in Partridge Street, you know, that's not going to be best for his health, whether the hospital treats him and makes him that bit better or not. So I suppose, as a whole, it needs... He needs, definitely, he needs some source of help, like a social worker or something like that. Okay, thanks Linda. Jade? No, 100%. Like his his legs, his dressing on his legs hasn't been changed in the last two weeks. That was the last time he was um, changed two weeks ago in the CUH. And the blood is coming through. Like it's just, I just don't know what to say. It's shocking. We'll pick up on it again on Monday morning. The the weekend hopefully will deliver some, some respite. Uh, and some solution there, but it's going to be torrential on Sunday. Uh, he needs to be in out of the elements. All right, Jade, thanks very much. Thank you so much. Thank and, you. And thanks, Linda, as well. So quickly to some texts. Uh, make regarding your space chat, do you realise the third man after Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the Apollo 11 mission that went to the moon was Michael Collins. Michael Collins's grandfather was from Dunmanway. Basically, a cork man went to the moon. It's hard to beat that. Uh, the government buying student student accommodation, the I-Pass needs a place uh, to stay, but not at the expense of our students. This is a disgrace if it goes ahead. The Cork Tri Club uh, have sent a text. Cork Tri Club is holding an open evening at the Maldron Hotel in South Mall in the city tonight, starting at half six, ending at eight. People can get a full rundown on all training and events and can get advice from our coaches and members. And people can register for free for this event on Eventbrite. Uh, on the subject of a horse, I just wanted to give a shout out to the wardens from the Cork Animals Home. They went up and freed the horse this morning that had been stuck in a fence between Nash's Boreen and Castleview Football Club for the last two days. The poor animal was totally stressed, but fair play to the lads for getting up there in the cold and releasing it. The bridge over the Southern Link Bridge um, near Paddy the Farmers hasn't been salted. Uh, people are falling over the road trying to enter the hospital there. On the subject of heating, as a modern evolved society of the European Union, we cannot afford heating. How did we end up like this in such modern times? Somebody should be responsible for this mess. Another texter says, The corporation told me this week that the stove is my own responsibility 
Uh, I've been on to the ombudsman about them with no luck. Uh, they're an absolute disgrace. Well, hopefully we'll have that uh, situation sorted. Fair play to Kieran. Was that Kieran Gould? He's the only one speaking the, tu- uh, the truth. I would back him 100%. And just to bring closure to the apprenticeships item, the apprenticeship system needs to be reformed. The access to apprenticeships is restricted to who you know. It's bizarre, really, because a man can train his son or daughter to the trade, no problem. But the poor misfortune from the council house has to fight to get one. We need to change this and have the basics in school first so it's open to all and then go into the job, says Morris. Is that true, Morris? Does nepotism exist in the apprenticeship system? Okay, let's look into that one. Just a quick one. My son is a first-year electrical apprentice. He only gets 8.46 per hour, which I think is an absolute shambles. Also, on any day, he could be anywhere from Yall to Skibbereen to Mallow. So most of his pay goes on diesel. He is left with nothing each week. My daughter's 19. She got a great leaving cert and has her safe pass done. She put her own car on the road and passed her driving test. She's applied for many apprenticeships, but doesn't even get a response. She wants to be an electrician. Any advice? Thanks, says Gemma. Well, with 350 or so going in and only 16 coming out the other end, there would seem to be a big, big requirement for electricians. One of the problems with the apprenticeships is the pay structure. I looked at doing an apprenticeship as a career change a few years ago. And as an older person with a mortgage and kids, getting over the first few years on low pay is just impossible. The structure removes all older people from joining the scheme. And a couple of final ones on maths anxiety. Uh, Mick, I have a fifth uh, year daughter with huge maths anxiety. The teacher says uh, that she should go down to pass. Maybe it's time for Breakthrough Maths online. A bit of positivity would be great. Yet uh, Check out BreakthroughMaths.com, I think. But just Google Breakthrough Maths, it'll come up for you. Uh, what's surprising about this revelation is well known that boys outperform on STEM subjects. There are biological differences between males and females. Simply put, ger- simply put girls in general care more about people while boys are more about things. Uh, it's almost as if the men and women are different and make different choices. Shock horror, says the final text. Back in a moment. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. 19 minutes to 12. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. And good morning to Jack O'Keefe, Cork chef and presenter with Ireland AM and a proud Donnerell man. Good morning, Jack. What's the story? How are you keeping? Oh, very good. You were on Ireland AM yesterday with a very crazy recipe, duck and tanora. <laughs> oh, a bit fruit loopy now, in fairness to me. <laughs> this is okay. one of those uh, inspirational moments I had a few days beforehand. Um, oh. Yeah, so duck and tanora, a twist on the classic French dish, duck a l'orange. Duck a l'orange, yeah. So t- tell us... Um, it's just something fun. How, how, do, how does it work? It, it, I'm looking at the ingredients here and they seem to be quite comprehensive. But most of these you'd have anyway in your house. Yeah, look, a big part of me, especially when I go on to Ireland AM and I've been doing it now. Actually, this week is my four-year anniversary of cooking on Ireland AM. Um, and I got all the memories of doing little cookery videos from my home kitchen during COVID lockdown when you couldn't come into the studio and everything. But I always try and keep the ingredients simple for home cooks. I always think back to, I was like a, a teenager finishing school during the financial crash years, you know, and things were tight and stuff. So I remember what it's like for families, large families and stuff like that, trying to cook really nice meals on a budget and whatever they have knocked on the house. It's always very, it's on top of my mind pretty much when I'm writing the recipe. Okay. So I try and keep them as 
Some, some of the ingredients are long for me, but most of it is stuff that you should have in your house, like in your pantry or in that one random cabinet at the very back. Okay, I'll, I'll run through the ingredients quickly. You need one litre of tanora. Now, if you're not from Cork, Fant will do the trick, okay? Uh, but tanora, essentially, a cinnamon stick, a star anise, a sprig of thyme, a sprig of rosemary, a tablespoon of rapeseed oil and salt and pepper. Now, for the veggies, parsnips, four for them, two handfuls of curly kale, a clove of garlic finely chopped, a stock, a stock cube, another tablespoon of uh, rapeseed oil, a tablespoon of butter and four portions of creamy mashed potato to serve. We don't have all the time in the world, but uh, if you can uh, take us through how to prepare it. Oh, yeah. So, look, all I do is start, start off with the duck anyway. So, grab a saucepan, uh, put it on a nice gentle medium heat, get it nice and warm, Pop in some star anise and cinnamon into it, just to toast it off to bring up the flavours. Then pour in your tanora, pop in your duck legs. Uh, you can use chicken legs as well if you wanted, or you could use like um, bacon chops or bacon ribs or whatever. Uh, bring that up to a, uh, sorry, then add in your rosemary and your thyme. Bring it all up to a simmer. Turn the heat down to low. Pop a lid on it. And stew it for about forty-five minutes. And when it's when the meat's nice and soft, and you know that by poking with your fingertips. Take it out of the heat, pop it onto an oven tray, bang it in the oven at 200 degrees Celsius for about 15, 20 minutes until it's nice, golden and crispy. And that's the duck done. Then for your veggies, you can do whatever you want with it. You could use this for making, like we said, Chinese pancakes, like nice, nice pulled duck pancakes. But what I did yesterday was I just put a pot of water on a simmer. I whisked, once it came up to the boil, I just whisked in a, a stock cube. It gives your veggies a much better flavour. And then I prepped up my parsnips by peeling them and chopping them. And I popped them into the simmering stock form six to seven minutes until they were al dente, like three quarters of the way cooked. And while they were simmering away, I put a nice big frying pan on the heat and a nice medium to high heat with some rapeseed oil in, in it. And then as the parsnips came out of the water, I just drained them and banged them into the oil with a knob of butter. And then I popped the curly kale into the simmering stock for a minute. And then after the minute, I pulled that out, popped it on top of the parsnips and then two chopped garlic cloves. Popped that on. Roll, uh, some salt some black pepper gave it a shaky shake and then I just served it with a scoop of mash on the plate pop on your veg mix and then pop on your duck on top really simple really easy you could do it in the midweek but you know there's loads and loads of different recipes you could use with tanora like try cooking ribs in the same technique just replace duck legs with some pork ribs absolutely fantastic it sounds absolutely gorgeous and and as well as that and of course you TV chefs make things look very very easy but then when we try it at home the place is a complete mess and nothing works out right so like I I'm very I'm very conscious of that as well like I hate the fact that someone went away and spent you know 50 euro on ingredients from a recipe of mine and it all didn't work out and it burnt and ended up in the bin because I didn't write my recipe correctly so when I write a recipe I actually think it through properly and just try and I always try and teach people a technique or a skill rather than just a recipe so for me generally the method of the recipe and my recipes are more important than the actual ingredients yeah because you can use it uh, over and over again yeah yeah like even there when I describe the duck dish I always give options because duck can be expensive so use the exact same technique just do pork ribs and it'll be an absolutely fantastic wintry barbecue dish. You know, you can, rather than instead of putting the pork the pork ribs into the oven after they come out of the tenora, light your barbecue and grill them. You know? So Sounds I fabulous. always like to give options and make sure that kind of people fully understand the recipe as best as they can before they actually go and do it. Okay, now, um, given it's a Friday in the middle of January and most people are between their wages and after Christmas, uh, you have also fake-away recipes. What's a fake-away so a takeaway for me is like when you don't want to go out and spend money in a restaurant or a ta- on a takeaway or in fast food, you just make it yourself at home and have a bit of fun. And like a really, really quick and cheap one to do at home is we all love burgers. Everybody loves burgers and there's burger joints 
popping up all over the country, cool, trendy ones. And rather than spending a couple 20, 30 euro each in a burger place, let's make it ourselves. So just grab yourself some fatty mints. And that's the brilliant thing. The fattier the mints, the cheaper it is. So like, go into your supermarket, get the 20% fat mints, which is always the budget mints, perfectly fine, good Irish mints. Roll it into balls in your hand, like small, like maybe a little bit bigger than a golf ball size. Season it yep. with salt and pepper. Heat up a frying pan. Pop your oil onto the frying pan. Take your mince ball. Pop it into the frying pan. Use a spatula. And then like maybe like an empty wine bottle or something to push the spatula down and smash out the burger. Then onto the frying pan as thin as you can. Cook it for about two minutes on each side. Pop on some Irish cheddar or an easy single. Get two brioche buns and toast them. And then just take some, for a sauce, just take some mayonnaise, teaspoon of paprika, teaspoon of Jody, the juice that's in the pickle jar. Mm-hmm. Take that juice, just maybe a teaspoon or, or a tablespoon of it and pop it into your mayonnaise and it gives you the Big Mac flavour in because that's the key ingredient in Big Mac sauce is pickle juice. Yeah, I didn't know that. And then what I do then is I dice up some gherkins and then I dice up an onion and I fold them through the mayonnaise sauce so it has texture to it. And I brush it across my brioche buns, my smashed out beef patty with the easy single on top, the bun on top, and then I just make some oven fries. And that's my... That's generally, actually, I nearly have that every Friday or I'll have some oven-baked chicken wings as my fake away on a Friday. I'm, I'm thinking of Homer Simpson and the way he goes... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I, can ima- I can imagine people are trying to scribble as, as, as you... And, and I appreciate you did everything very quickly there, Jack. But where can people access your recipes outside of watching them on uh, Ireland AM? So, especially with fake away stuff, my, all of my social media platforms are full of fake away style recipes. So if you head over to Chef Jack O'Keefe, Facebook, Instagram, X, whatever. I'm on them all, um, mainly Instagram. And just scroll down through my feed and you'll find a picture of a burger and there's a recipe there. There'll also be videos down there. Um, and if actually, if you go onto the Virgin Media website and just type in Jack O'Keefe, hundreds of recipes from Ireland AM will come up. Fantastic. Do, do you know who's a big advocate of cooking at home and trying all these things and checking out websites? Ed Sheeran. No way. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it does an awful lot of home cooking. So listen, thanks very much, Jack. We have a musical uh, element to finish up the programme as we do every Friday. So I'll let you go, and thank you very much. Chef Jack O'Keefe. Super. Thanks, Jack. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Eight minutes to 12 midday with the Neil Prenderville Show. Flurry of activity in the studio. Not many people who try end up making a living out of music, but my next guest is very certainly... Uh, the exception to that rule and is doing so well. Uh, a one-time, uh, I'd probably kind of say founder member, a founder member of Crystal Swing. Uh, Derek Burke is here with Dave Duggan on the keys and we'll have a chat in a moment, but let's kick it off musically first. Derek Burke. Let's get everybody singing along in their cars as they're going along the road. Then when you all know the words of, the one's called the Galway Girl, it goes something like this. Here we go. Well, I took a stroll down the old I walk of a D-I-E-I-A. I met a little girl and we stopped to talk of a fine soft D-I-E. And I asked you, friends, what's a fella to do if her hair was black and her eyes were blue? I took her hand and I gave her a word and I lost my heart to the Galway girl. Take it away, Dave. Here we go. Oh, we're going well in Red FM here today. Mick Muller swinging around the floor. Oh, we're going out good old All right, here we go now. This is the sad bit. When I woke up, I was all alone. Ah. Oh. With a 
broken hearts and a ticket home of a fine South D.I.E. And ask you friends, what's a fella to do if her hair, if her hair was blue and her eyes were black? What? You see, traveling around, I've been all over this world. Boys, I ain't never seen nothing like the Cork City Girls. Take it away, Dave, go! Dave Duggan on the keys, but uh, especially to Derek Burke. You've just launched the Derek Burke Band, uh, so is Crystal Swing no more? That's right, Mick. Well, we obviously had a massive run with Crystal Swing, as yeah. you know. You know, we've uh, I suppose I have everything to thank for Crystal Swing, really. You know, without Crystal Swing, I probably wouldn't be sitting in this chair right now. You know, and it gave me the confidence, and we obviously toured all over Ireland yeah. and a lot all over the world, but. As Crystal Swing, we had to cut back an awful lot because my sister um, and Red FM have been very good to air this and Neil Prindival. Um, my sister has a severely autistic son and uh, so can no longer be out as much. So we do yeah. a selected amount of gigs now. Um, my mother still plays away and she plays in a good few hotels and that around the around the Cork area. Um, but myself, with the last few years, I have been out as my own, doing my own show, my own one-man show. And... I've been asked to do weddings on and off and all along I've been just telling people or maybe if it was a family or a friend's wedding I might just pull in a few friends of mine but nothing say majorly but there at the end of the year I sat down with my wife um, because last year I had a lot of inquiries for weddings Mm. but I didn't have anything really in place and I said to my wife you know it's mad to be turning away this amount of weddings so um, I made a few phone calls and like I want to say thanks to Dave for coming up here Dave Dogan today playing piano with me um, Dave is in the band and any any of the musicians I have in the band with me Mick and Cecil and Mark and um, a few more as well that'll be coming um, anyone that's, play, that's playing with me have all played with the biggest bands in the country and I want to go out with that whole professional show that sure. once we go out that we're at we have full professional sound lighting so the yeah, weddings the, is the, the route we're going the wedding's where the money is but you, you can't go out with a full 5 show it has to be, you know, has to be word of mouth has to continue to get you the next bookings Correct. but you're already pretty full for 2024 and opening 25 and 26 so if you're if you're in the wedding planning stage then uh, how do we get in touch well you can get in touch with me uh, I suppose Facebook and Instagram are so big now you can follow or like my page Derek Burke Music or you can send me an email at Derek Burke Music uh, at gmail.com or else um, we're going to be I'm actually going to be on Virgin Media in the morning um, on Ireland AM at quarter to ten um, again just myself but I'm going to be promoting the new band or we will be fully launching in Clancy's and Cork on Friday the 26th that's of next January. week yeah. that's next week so if, if there's any uh, brides and grooms to be who are getting married and they're looking for a band uh, make sure to pop in to see us um, and I also have Laura and Benny photography who a lot of brides and grooms will have had or are having to do their wedding um, for coming in doing some video work and photography because um, we uh, want it for promo videos and okay. for TV stuff as well great stuff yeah, and, so and the best to look um, what, what's the last song Thank you. Well, we'll uh, we'll finish off with another song that I suppose everybody knows the words of. Um, we'll get everybody singing with this one. A little one's called Sweet Caroline, and it goes something like this. Here we go. One, two, three, four. And I also want to say thanks to Justin as well at Wedfest, where we were last week, and we got so many bookings out of Wedfest as well in Parky Cove. Oh, that's so Wedfest in Parky Cove last weekend. That's yep. the one. Let's hear you singing this one. You'll know the words of this. Where it began. Can begin to know when 
and I know it's going strong. Wasn't the spring? Wasn't the spring? I tell you, Mick, boy, you could do it yourself. Then spring became the summer. Look at that, huh? Who'd have believed you'd come along? You it's all know. yours, man. All Mick yours. Mulcahy might join the band. It's hands. Let's see the hands in the air. Touching hands. Reach them out. Reaching out. Touching me. Touching you. on time. It's a, it's a bit of a rarity around here. There you go. Uh, well I done. Thank, thanks fine. to Dave Duggan on the keys and Derek Burke and my thanks to the Neil Prendeville Show production team, Seamus Whelan, Kevin Galvin and Claire O'Connor. We'll be back on Monday morning for week two and Neil returns on Monday week. Have a great weekend. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters.